Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Morally, is a peaceful uh, demonstration. It really is a march. People holding signs. Uh, what's really, really interesting also to watch is the, the neighborhood and how they've come out to support what's happening here. A lot of people have been cooped up inside their homes. Uh, there you see a, a woman there uh, waving. But a lot of people cooped up in, in their homes, and they've come to their windows in some cases. Uh, to bang like pots and pans to show their support uh, of these marchers as they go uh, through the street uh, marching and you're hearing no justice, no peace now. Um, and everyone is just together. There are people giving out water. Most of the people uh, have been wearing masks. I saw uh, people giving out masks, giving out water, giving out food. And, you know, they're just continuing to march. We're now heading north through uh, here you see uh, water and snacks uh, being given out and that's what we're seeing here it's very peaceful it's beautiful to see I have to tell you after what I witnessed uh, last night seeing this um, really uh, it, it's it's a good feeling because what went on last night uh, was so awful and you can tell that everyone here let me, let me let me let me jump in, Shimon. Let me let me together. ask you about that. Yeah. Let me ask you about that. But I do again, just under underlining, underscoring your point. Yeah. This is a beautiful scene, and this is necessary, right? This is necessary to bring about real change. Nationwide protests against inequality are encouraging more people to have discussions, not only about race but also white privilege. Robin D'Angelo is a sociologist, and she's author of this book, White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. I love this title. She joins us with the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, CBS News contributor Ibram X. Kendi. I would like you to explain what white privilege is exactly and why white people have such a hard time seeing it, because it's so clear to most black people I know. Certainly, and thank you for having me. White privilege is the automatic, taken-for-granted advantage bestowed upon white people as a result of living in a society based on the premise of white as the human ideal, and that from its founding established white advantage as a matter of law, and today as a matter of policy and practice. It doesn't matter if you agree with it, if you want it, if you even are aware of it, it's 24-7-365, 
And one of the reasons why it's so hard for white people to see it, well, there are many reasons, but one is it, it serves us not to see it. We come to feel entitled to that advantage. We're told that we deserve it and that we earned it. And we take great umbrage when uh, that is challenged. You write too, Robin, in the book that kids from the age between three and four are intuitively taught that being white is better, that you are superior. I, I thought that that was an interesting thing. Ibram, you've said that to get to end white privilege, you have to you have to deal with racism first, right? Yes, yeah, I mean, as as Robin, you know, talked about it, 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 it is critical for for white people, for people. Uh, in general, to, to stop denying their their racist ideas, to stop denying the ways in which policies have benefited them, to stop denying their racism, and to realize that actually the heartbeat of racism itself is denial, and the sound of that heartbeat is, I'm not racist. I say again, in America, people don't have to protest in only the ways that Trump and his followers like. What they call peaceful means passive. Be quiet. Go home. Passive people don't find progress. Now, you have to ask, is that why Trump wants these people to be passive? To just go home so things can stay as they are. The ones doing violence to our quest for a perfect union are those who ignore what's happening on our streets and making the symptoms more important than the illness that brought people to the streets in the first place. People are outraged with good reason. The truth is it's not on them to make Trump or his followers feel comfortable about their distress. They should blame leaders for inequalities and shame them into doing better. See their massive numbers. See their eyes. This president may play to certain people's anger, but his goal seems to begin and end with himself. Of course, Obama was able to articulate who we are at our best. He knows it. He's educated. He's a leader. And he pushed for progress. It takes more effort to do what Trump is doing, to keep Americans apart, to make things up, to make us not like each other, to use the word peaceful uh, as, you know, a dog whistle to passive. Shh. Come on, black people, be quiet. We like you quiet. Yeah, of course you do, because you want things to stay the same. But this is a moment. You know, you and I have resonated with a lot of people because they're just not used to seeing this. Yeah. They're not used to seeing a brown face. And a white face, depending on how much makeup I have on, talking about things honestly and from a place of love, even though we don't see things the same way and don't have the same experience. Yeah. Imagine if this conversation becomes contagious all over this country. Amazing things could be done. I just want no you to worries. tell me how you're feeling and what you're thinking today. It's um, it's devastating to be a black person in America. James Baldwin said is to be in a nearly unending state of rage, to paraphrase him. And the rage grows from the the inability of many of our white brothers and sisters to understand where we are, to put themselves in our existential shoes and to understand how time and again, with the murder of black people, with the hunting down of black people by white vigilantes, with a policeman willfully disregarding the pleas of a black man to breathe, treating him like an animal, why we feel, and it is not hyperbolic, that this country not only does not care, but treats us less than human, uh, as a matter of fact.
but there is an internal bias that might be there that causes them to to look at a black person and they might be scared or look at a black person and think in some way they might not be like them or they might not be nice to them something that internal bias that haunts so many white americans but, but a great question but look at the spectrum there if you look at the ones who are most nefarious uh, the police officer uh, the McMichael father and son team uh, uh, hunting down like an animal, Mr. Arbery. But look toward the middle. It still has consequence. Uh, the woman who called the police on or threatened to uh, Mr. Cooper in Ramble, the Ramble section of Central Park. How many how many people of color or black people had she at her office turned down, been insensitive to? So it has consequences, whether it's in the street with a gun, whether it's in corporate America, whether it's in institutions of higher education, whether it's in public spaces. Let's just acknowledge that. However, I think what we've got to do, we've got to ask white people to be just as aggressive about reading about race about social injustice and about inequality as they are about Star Wars and horror movies. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 6th of June, year of our Lord, 2020. A day that's pretty amazing for veterans. This is D-Day. It happened a long time ago. But by our intro, we're not talking about that. We're talking about riots still. And we're talking about CNN who is pushing false lies, beautifully necessary, peaceful protest. And this is going to be a hard podcast. It's going to be long. There's a lot of sound bites. But I want to set the table so you understand this is not about the protest. This isn't even about George Floyd anymore. This is about... A culture war. This is about them inserting their religion of progressivism on the entire country. 99.3% of broadcast networks' protest coverage ignore murders, ignore looting, ignore violence. They're not even covering it. CNN, for the last three days of the 11 days of protests, Mind you, they've already accomplished their goals. Their stated goals was to get second-degree murder and to get the rest of the cops arrested. That happened when Keith Ellison took over. Mr. Antifa took over the investigation, and now that's happened. While cities have shunned National Guards, Bowers has kicked National Guards out of hotels, but had time to play Black Lives Matter down the street towards the White House. With taxpayer money. <clears throat> Minneapolis is asking for $57 million because they're a war zone. But they're shunning our National Guards. They're shunning any way to stop this because they want the politics of it. But they won't show it. And we have some troubling sound bites today. A murder that made me literally cry. I, I couldn't believe it actually happened but before we get into it i want to I, I want you to understand where i'm coming from once again for those who knew the podcast there was a blow up the other day of like 300 listens and i'm sure a lot of people that might tune in for this are going to be lefties who are like he's a fascist blah 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 blah, blah. what happened to george floyd floyd was wrong but it's not all cops 
It's just like when I talk about the protesters and looters. I'm not talking about all protesters and looters. But we have a troubling thing in our society that we allow the left to say all of one thing is this. When you do it with a conservative approach back, oh, no, you can't do that. But Trump, well, the right does this. And they do whataboutisms to shirk off what's happening. And what's happening is pretty fucking horrible. I mean, this is 11 days. And last podcast, I spoke of my parents cowering in Portland. Because they came out to Beaverton, Oregon. They came out to Tualatin. They brought the protests out of the city and into the suburbs. And they were cowering in their home. I got a phone call from my mom, who's in her 70s, and goes, is this real? And I had planned to put this later on. It was going to be the uh, This Is America section. But I want to play it up front because I think it really sums up what this is about. This whole incident is about. It's not about social justice. If it was about social justice, Sean King, of all people, stopped generically telling us to vote in response to all the police brutality we have right now. Yes, we should vote. But we have to be very specific. Democrats from top to bottom are running the cities with the worst police brutality in America right now. We voted for them. It's so bad that the media knows it bad. It's bad. They're spinning this with what you know, Chris Cuomo does every night with, oh, it's not a black person. It's not angry black people. Nobody say it. Nobody ever said it was angry black people. It's Antifa and BLM that's very extreme. They're extreme people. But the majority of America are not for this. Even the majority of blacks. Daily Tracker Rasmussen reports black likely voters approve of the job real Trump, Donald real Donald Trump is doing over 40%. That's never happened for a Republican president ever. And the media ignored it and they doubled down. Because even black people see the video that I'm about to play that my mother came and talked to me about and said, is it real? And they're going, this has to stop. Hey, excuse me. I work for Black Lives Matter. I'm I'm sorry. I I work for Black Lives Matter. I'm sorry that I scared you. But since I work for that company, my CEO has told me to come out today and to bring you on your knees because you have white privilege. So if they see that a white person is getting on their knees, that shows solidarity for the situation. The situation. And could you just please apologize for, you know, for your white privilege? Just apologize? I am. I'm trying to think of the right words to say because that's a big thing to say. It's it's big. It's It's large in this country. You know, with this country, we have that president, Donald Duck, that clown in office, 
you know, he's brought a lot of bigotry, and you're not a part of it, right? No. No. And so, you know, just. Why are you guys removing Black Lives Matter's graffiti? But why do you want that to come off? But so you don't care about black lives then? That's not That's what this... Not enough to leave up a message. Right. Not, not a great way to use your white privilege, ladies. Not a great... That's disgusting. Why are you on our side? We're on your side! We're on your side! Holy shit! Couldn't even wait a day, not one day, because of their precious memorial. When I saw you earlier, you picked up a sign. You all picked up signs to put them in bin bags. No, no, no. Oh! There are videos all over the internet, and I added some extras in there with uh, cleaning's racist now, I guess, because people are trying to clean up the mess. But white people bowing, kissing boots to BLM. It's not about social justice. It's about retribution for perceived ills they have against America that they believe all white people have done. We, we have taken the college mentality and all the stuff I've done for, what, four years of podcasting, uh, five years, I guess, and, and we have taken it out to the street that, you know, you have your white privilege and you're a piece of shit and blah, 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 blah. And she says, is this real? And I go, yeah. It's real. In there, you heard a guy go, we're on your side because he's doing a thumbs up, but they throw a brick at him. Because you're not their ally. You can lick their boots. You can bow. They don't give a fuck. They don't want justice. They want superiority. The militant BLM and the Antifa fucks want anarchy. They don't give a fuck about the court case. They don't care about George Floyd. That isn't about. It is a reason for them to go and fuck things up. And they can put as many people they want to on CNN as, you know, we'll see in this podcast and say it's peaceful protest. It's not. Whole cities are destroyed right now. Portland, everything's destroyed. 
The Lincoln Memorial is destroyed, and as we'll see in here, our media goes, oh, there's National Guard. It's the hack fucking Handmaid's Tale. That's that crying piece of shit from ABC this week. Fucking Jim Acosta got twittered because a soldier was eating breakfast on the hood of his Humvee. Because they got done. The violence was real, and they were done with the violence at the White House. As they should be. But our media only shows one thing. We will hear Chris Cuomo throughout this. Why should protests be not violent? Why should... I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. I had a a soundbite of a Latino guy. I'm not going to play it because he says racial epitaphs. But even him saying, I'm done. They're trashing my shit. I got nothing to do with this. This is my business. Get the fuck away. But the most telling thing was having to tell my mom, that's not made up. And she was in shock. Her eyes were open. She went from cowering to angry with what is this? What do do they want? And then she sees that video and she goes, oh, that's what they want. They want superiority. They want whatever they say to go. That's a big theme throughout this whole show. Whatever they say, you must do. For you to be an ally, you need to shut the fuck up and do what the fuck we say. And Amazon didn't listen. So yesterday, this happened to them. That's a California distribution warehouse burned to the ground. By the end of the day, because I logged in early on Prime video, there was nothing for Black Lives Matter. By the end of the day, the top header was Black Lives Matter, and the top category, whether you wanted it or not, was black documentaries about how everything in America is fucking horrible. They got the message. Last night, the big push was some 75-year-old guy in Buffalo, and all the officers resigned, and then you research, you know, what they did was wrong, they shouldn't have pushed him, but he was a professional protester. He took the fall. It was all bullshit. It was all bullshit. I would bet my life on it. It was bullshit. He actually didn't get hurt. He took the fall, and because he's old as fuck, he hit his head, but he touched the officers. He did it on purpose, and somebody was filming it. Because they need to keep it going. There is no reason for protests. So they have to keep the protests going. And how do they keep a protest going? New cases. Police brutality. And then you have Chris Cuomo on there just saying it's horrible. And everybody needs to fucking be fired. And literally last night as I'm trying to go to sleep, my wife's watching this stupid shit. And I don't want to watch it. He is literally talking about, you know, this one cop. What kind of environment? It's horrible. And... Only once during the whole time did I hear him say anything about, well, not all cops are bad cops. But his inference was this one cop shows that the the whole police force is fucked up. But we can't talk about the one protester. They have lied so much the tear gas won't stop. 
Uh, Neil Augustine, sources say that tear gas, and this was the clearing out, the last podcast for a speech, it was smoke. I thought it was smoke because you can tell the difference between HC smoke and CS gas as it is packed and when it burns. Yeah, Michiel Cinder, here's what's happening outside the White House. President Trump has given his Rose Garden, ally of all pro- peaceful protests. Peaceful protests are being tear gas. Steve Guest, Julian Castro, Brian Schatz, tear gas, a member of the clergy. Elizabeth Warren, Edward Wong. The actual park police came out and said, no, that's not true. And none of it took it. They still continued. And the media, as of, we just covered at the last podcast, still won't get over him going to a church. Even though Nancy's held a Bible, and everybody's held a Bible, and Al fucking Reverend Al's held a Bible, they've all held Bibles. How dare he hold a Bible? Tear gas is used to clear demonstrators for a presidential photo op in front of a fire-damaged church. Tear gas used on protesters in order to clear the way for the president to walk over from the White House across the street for this photo, to hold up a Bible in front of a church that had been damaged in a fire uh, because of some of the protests, and that is a move that is getting extraordinary criticism this morning. The Episcopal Bishop of D.C. blasting the president for what she called a photo op and saying she never gave him permission to be there. The outrage is growing after U.S. Park and Secret Service police fire tear gas and rubber bullets into a crowd of peaceful demonstrators near the White House, clearing the way for the president's photo op in front of historic St. John's Episcopal Church. In a made-for-reality TV primetime moment, the president and his entourage left the White House and walked through that park where protesters had been cleared moments earlier. He went to historic St. John's Episcopal Church, which had been burned in a fire during protests a night earlier. There, the president held up a Bible for the cameras. Is that your Bible? Standing in various poses for a full minute and a half. Peaceful protesters outside the White House are tear-gassed. Minutes later, President Trump poses for a photo op at a church. Once the area was clear, Mr. Trump left the White House on foot, walking to the historic St. John's Church, where he held up a Bible before cameras. Democrats and church leaders condemned the visit, accusing President Trump of acting like a dictator to stage a photo op on sacred ground. Their intent is to brainwash everyone. Every business. The NFL took a knee and bowed yesterday, saying we should have listened to that piece of shit, Kaepernick. Even though it hurts their sales, even though majority of people don't want to see it, even though 58% of Americans want the riots done, they want the National Guard to use, even though 40% of fucking blacks are supporting the fucking president. The media want this. It's in our This Is America. Things got positive. They can't have that. So the brainwashing must happen. Every business must bow. But I have to bring you back to reality again. And for those that have been with the show, you've heard this. Do statistics show that there's systemic police racism? No. 
a police officer is 18.5 times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed by a police officer. Many have tried, all have failed to demonstrate the police are racist. Statistics don't lie. Heather McDonald. Does the truth matter? Not to groups like Black Lives Matter. That's tragic for many reasons, not the least of which is that black lives are being lost as a result. When it comes to the subject of American police, blacks, and the deadly use of force, here is what we know. A recent deadly force study by Washington State University researcher Lois James found that police officers were less likely to shoot unarmed black suspects than unarmed white or Hispanic ones in simulated threat scenarios. Harvard economics professor Roland Fryer analyzed more than 1,000 officer-involved shootings across the country. He concluded that there is zero evidence of racial bias in police shootings. In Houston, he found that blacks were 24% less likely than whites to be shot by officers, even though the suspects were armed or violent. Does the truth matter? An analysis of the Washington Post's police shooting database and of federal crime statistics reveals that fully 12% of all whites and Hispanics who die of homicide are killed by cops. By contrast, only 4% of black homicide victims are killed by cops. But isn't it a sign of bias that blacks make up 26% of police shooting victims, but only 13% of the national population? It is not, and common sense suggests why. Police shootings occur more frequently where officers confront armed or violently resisting suspects. Those suspects are disproportionately black. According to the most recent study by the Department of Justice, although blacks were only about 15% of the population in the 75 largest counties in the U.S., they were charged with 62% of all robberies, 57% of murders, and 45% of assaults. In New York City, Blacks commit over three-quarters of all shootings, though they are only 23% of the city's population. Whites, by contrast, commit under 2% of all shootings in the city, though they are 34% of the population. New York's crime disparities are repeated in virtually every racially diverse city in America. The real problem facing inner-city black communities today is not the police, but criminals. In 2014, over 6,000 blacks were murdered, more than all white and Hispanic homicide victims combined. Who is killing them? Not the police and not white civilians, but other blacks. In fact, a police officer is 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed by a police officer. If the police ended all use of lethal force tomorrow, it would have a negligible impact on the black death by homicide rate. In Chicago, through just the first six and a half months of 2016, over 2,300 people were shot. That's a shooting an hour during some weekends. The vast majority of the victims were black. During the same period, the Chicago police shot 12 people, all armed and dangerous. That's one half of 1% of all shootings. Does the truth matter? If it does, here's a truth worth pondering. 
There is no government agency more dedicated to the proposition that black lives matter than the police. The proactive policing revolution that began in the mid-1990s has dramatically brought down the inner city murder rate and saved tens of thousands of black lives. Unfortunately, that crime decline is now in jeopardy. As I write in my book, The War on Cops, police officers are backing off of proactive policing in black neighborhoods thanks to the false narrative that police officers are infected with homicidal bias. As a result, violent crime is going up. In cities with large black populations, homicides in 2015 rose anywhere from 54% in Washington, D.C. to 90% in Cleveland. Overall, in the nation's 56 largest cities, homicides in 2015 rose 17%, a nearly unprecedented one-year spike. Many law-abiding residents of high-crime areas beg the police to maintain order, precisely the type of policing that the ACLU, progressive politicians, and the Obama Justice Department denounce as racist. This is tragic because when the police refrain from proactive policing, black lives are lost. Lost because of a myth. The best research and data reach this conclusion. There is no evidence that police are killing blacks just because they're black. You now have the truth. Does it matter? I'm Heather McDonald of the Manhattan Institute for Prager University. The fact of the matter is, every time one of these studies come out, they disregard them and they bury them because it's a narrative. It isn't about facts. It's never been about facts. Gun violence has never been about facts. Uh, Shootings, every town, Planned Parenthood, fucking climate change. Anything the left gnashes their teeth about and gets all fired up about is never based on facts. Ever. It's emotion. It's it's whether you're part of the cabal or not. Planned Parenthood, who kills more black people than black-on-black violence, or the police ever could, or the KKK ever did, millions of black babies can tweet this. We're devastated, grieving, and outraged by violence against black lives. We must continue to demand accountability, justice, and an end to the inequity that continues to define every moment of life for black America from the racist institution that uphold white supremacy. How can they even write that? They put their body shops, as I call them, in black communities. And kill black babies. Their founder, Margaret Sanger, was part of the KKK and briefed them and was a fucking eugenicist. She didn't believe blacks should reproduce. The media and the left have been able to twist that so that when Hillary got the Margaret Sanger Award, that means she's a great feminist. It gave her street cred. Journos have compared the June 1st D.C. protest to Pearl Harbor. Because this is how they do it. Brainwashing. Facts don't matter. You can play over and over and over and over and over and over 
statistical analysis that it's not true that 385 blacks or whites were killed in 2019 by cops, 19 of them unarmed, and 235 blacks were killed by cops, 9 unarmed, and you can play it at nauseum, but we're going to do headlines like this. A white bar owner in Obama, o- Omaha shot and killed a black protester. He won't face charges. That was what CBS News put out. They attacked him. He defended himself. But that's not what they're going to put out there. They worded it and put the headline because they're scared. We're going to get to the New York Times in this podcast. And for the 50th time, they changed the headline because of the mob. And they removed an op-ed that 58% of America believes in. Because of the mob. Everybody's scared of the mob. Go back to Amazon. I started the show weird because I wanted to prep it and go back to it. Amazon got it burned the fuck down. Man, they got religion, man. BLM on their landing. We are going to push propaganda down people's necks. But surprisingly, Amazon, Apple, Google, Twitter, CNN, MSDNC, ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, only Fox covered this video. And and it's shocking. And if you could see it, I would say, hey, if, if you're squeamish on things, don't watch, but we're listening. Nobody talked about Captain Dorn. OG! 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 OG, come on, stay with me, OG. OG, stay with me. Stay with me, OG. Stay with me, OG. Come on, OG. Come on, OG. Come on, OG, stay with me. Come on, OG. Come on, OG. Come on, OG, stay with me. Come on, OG. Come on, OG. Come on, OG. Come on, OG. Damn, man, over some TVs, cuz. Over some TVs, man. For real. It's somebody granddaddy, cuz. Man, fuck you, nigga. What y'all trying to do? Fuck you talking about y'all kidding man over some TVs, car. Over some TVs, car. You hear me? That shit we could get, car. Over some TVs, car. Stop playing, man. OG, come on, OG. Come on, OG. Come on, this somebody granddaddy, car. Over some TVs. Call them, cuz. Over some TVs, cuz. Come on, cuz. Come on, man. We better than this, cuz. Over a TV, cuz. Over TV, pop them, cuz. He gone, bro. He gone, bro. Over some TVs, cuz. OG, man, rest in peace, bro. It's nothing but love, bro. You good, bro. It's okay, bro. Just relax, bro. Relax, bro. Relax, bro. Over some TV, you was doing the right thing. You was doing the right thing. He was trying to protect you, but at the same time, it's the wrong. It's too much going on for that, OG. Come on, OG. We better than that, OG. I think he do work here, man. He work here, man. Over some fucking TVs, man. Over some TV. He lost his life over some TVs, cuz. Over some TVs, cuz. Over some TVs, cuz. Yes, nigga. Don't you see? We'll place flowers in front there, and there's a sign posted on the outside of the business asking why the looters would kill a black man. It's right over here where he was shot and killed. He was here helping the owners by checking out why the alarm was going off. 
I know our hearts are heavy and we are saddened, but heaven is rejoicing. Heaven has uh, one of their soldiers, one of their true policemen, and they have called them on homes. That's David Dorn, the second from the right. He served five years as the Moline Acres police chief after retiring following 38 years with the St. Louis Police Department. In his retirement, he helped the owners of Lee's Pawn and Jewelry by checking on the business when the alarm went off and is believed to have been shot when he confronted looters early in the morning. And so when I saw um, that pawn shop, um, I thought about him immediately because I knew he had a key and that uh, he would respond when they had alarm activations. St. Louis Police Chief John Hayden spoke about Dorn at a press conference this morning. During a looting process, David Dorn was exercising law enforcement training that he learned here. And so in his honor, we are wearing our mourning bands. Dorn was a well-respected captain at the St. Louis Police Department. His voice stood out when he spoke on the radio after pulling over a speeder. We knew when we heard his voice. He may have had, he had that high-pitched voice, but he definitely handled his own car stop. Uh, he was just a great leader, definitely. Pastor Marquello Frutel is a former St. Louis police officer. He saw the streaming video posted online of someone who had been shot outside the pawn shop. He says he was horrified when he learned later it was Dorn. It was sad. I was saddened by it. Uh, many of the officers I used to work with called, and it was just, just sad for me and just knowing that he had to go out like that. Pastor Futrell says in the video, Dorn is holding up his phone as if to ask somebody to call 911. If anybody did, help did not arrive in time. Now, Dorn's wife is a sergeant still working at the St. Louis Police Department, and we've learned from Crime Stoppers that they're offering up to a $10,000 reward in this case. Live in North St. Louis, Russell Kinsall, News 4. He retired from the police force, was a chief of police for a very small time, town, and he was helping a buddy in his pawn shop during these riots. And they shot and killed him over a TV, and he's an African-American. Does his black life not matter? Last night, Fox News showed a black PLM member, and no, it doesn't. Black cops are pieces of shit, she was saying. And he was murdered. It was on TV. It was live-streamed. Laying on the ground, taking his last breath. And nobody will show it. Because we're in propaganda mode. We don't put out facts. We don't show the violence. We don't show what's happened to Portland. We don't show... I said last podcast, they accidentally showed on CNN Philadelphia. They never went back again because there were explosions because they were blowing up ATMs to steal the money. New York City is destroyed. Minneapolis destroyed. Philadelphia fucked up. D.C. fucked up. Portland fucked up. Anaheim fucked up. There's videos all over the place. And the problem that gets me so angry is that all these little fucking twats that are on your TV. Why do you think Cuomo's saying, well, it's not a bunch of black, black, angry black men. They go to Twitter. They're reading. They see all these videos. They don't show them. They've yet to show any of the violence. They were ordered to make it look like it's the police so we could keep this going. And now they're in overtime because it was supposed to be part of This Is America. But unemployment! Unemployment went down! The greatest growth of jobs in the history of tracking 
is what the right's saying, which is horseshit, because of course, most of the people weren't really unemployed. They were let go and their jobs were held and so they can get unemployment and then they brought them right back. So 2.5 million jobs. Unemployment's under 13%, dropped 10%. Stock market's the highest it's ever been. But propaganda? What did our media do? I'd like to sign this bill. This is a very different thing. And by the way, what's happened to our country and what you now see it has been happening is the greatest thing that can happen for race relations, for the African-American community, for the Asian-American, for the Hispanic-American community, for women, for everything. What's your plan? Because our country is so strong. And that's what my plan is. We're going to have the strongest economy in the world. We almost are there now. We had the strongest economy anywhere in the world, and now we're going to have an economy that's even stronger. Sir, how, sir, how, how would a better economy? Yeah, just to follow up, how would a better economy have protected George Floyd? Sure, I'll ask after. Will you take questions after, sir? Black unemployment went up by one by 0.1 percent. Asian Americans unemployment went up by 0.5 percent. How is that a victory? You are something. How is that a victory? Now understand, these are the same people who spent all their time saying there is no way in hell jobs weren't going to be under 20 percent, that the economy was over. They were scared. We we read it on here. It just scared. So fucking scared that it would recover. And then you go through here and you look at it. It was CNBC, CNN, Forbes, everybody. There's no way unemployment will be this. That's what's going to be. Blah, 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 blah. And then they spent their whole time claiming he said George Floyd would be happy about it. Jake Tapper, a great day for George Floyd. This is vile. The president is co-opting the memory of George Floyd, Sean Watts, Peter Baker, who went back and deleted it, Gabby Orr, every media network, A.G. Hamilton sums it up. Trump is bad enough on his own, but it's unbelievable how dishonest members of the press are on his side. I had my DMs being filled with people outraged at Trump for saying George Floyd would be cheering on jobs numbers. I was about to attack him, then saw the full video, and he never said that. He was talking about social justice in one sentence. And that's what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about the jobs numbers. Because once again, you can't have positive news. This is about an election. None of this is about George. Do you think any of these people give a flying fuck about George Floyd? But we don't even talk about what his background was. We don't talk about the fentanyl. We don't talk about... I mean, the best we've gotten for some information was this about George Floyd. And I'm not attacking the dead man. I'm just saying, this is what we got. And this sounds just like Michael Brown shit. I say again, in America, people don't have to protest in only the ways that Trump and his followers like. What they call peaceful means Passive. Be quiet. Go home. Passive people don't find progress. Now, you have to ask, is that why Trump wants these people to be passive? To just go home. 
so things can stay as they are. The ones doing violence to our quest for a perfect union are those who ignore what's happening on our streets and making the symptoms more important than the illness that brought people to the streets in the first place. People are outraged with good reason. The truth is it's not on them to make Trump or his followers feel comfortable about their distress. They should blame leaders for inequalities and shame them into doing better. See their massive numbers. See their eyes. This president may play to certain people's anger, but his goal seems to begin and end with himself. Of course, Obama was able to articulate who we are at our best. He knows it. He's educated. He's a leader. And he pushed for progress. It takes more effort to do what Trump is doing, to keep Americans apart, to make things up, to make us not like each other, to use the word peaceful uh, as, you know, a dog whistle to passive. Shh. Come on, black people. Be quiet. We like you quiet. Yeah, of course you do, because you want things to stay the same. But this is a moment. You know, you and I have resonated with a lot of people because they're just not used to seeing this. They're not used to seeing a brown face and a white face, depending on how much makeup I have on, talking about things honestly and from a place of love, even though we don't see things the same way and don't have the same experience. Imagine if this conversation becomes contagious all over this country. saying, oh, they're going to kill me. I can hear him screaming. I can hear him pleading for his life and asking and begging to just breathe. He just wanted to breathe. He just wanted air. And I just, I can remember hearing him squirming and crying out like the world here. You heard George say, I think they're going to kill me. They're trying to kill me. Not think. He said, they're going to kill me. I heard him saying I can't breathe. Uh, if you can, Counselor Maurice, will you do me a favor? Let, let me take a commercial. I don't want your only perspective on George to be how he died. Uh, I want to hear about why you loved him, why he was your friend, and what you know about him that people need to know about him to understand why your telling of the story and people who know him about how he would have been with the police is something they should listen to. And I understand. So I'll take a quick break. I promise. I don't want to drag this out for you. I know you don't want to talk about this. I know it's hard and I appreciate it. But people need to understand who he was. We got so much bias and stuff to strip away for people so they can just see it for what it was. So, Counselor, uh, are we good with that? Yes. Thank you, Chris. All right. Thank you. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is a perspective we have not heard. And right now, as this case is coming uh, ever closer, it's one that we need. Please stay with us on what happened when the police approached that car in terms of what they were asking for and what they were offered up by you and your friend, Mr. Floyd. May 25th, Memorial Day, Mr. Floyd and I was approached by two officers. Um, One had took the side of my car door and um, asked for my ID, which later I um, heard aloud distraction of a sound coming from Mr. Floyd's direction of another officer sounding like he was trying to break the window of Floyd's side of the driver's side of his SUV truck. And our, uh, at that moment, the, it started Mr. Floyd, myself, and maybe even the, part, the partner of the officer because he then ran from my side to the other side of the vehicle after um, his 
um, partner was on my brother's side, um, I believe, using a use of force. Well, Mo, help me understand uh, the situation. So the officers came up to both sides of the vehicle asking for ID. What happened on George's side of the vehicle that made the officers run after there? Do you over there? Do you remember? I do. I remember hearing a loud, like uh, the object of a blunt force, some large object, whatever the officer had in his hand. Again, I'm turned because I'm taking care of the officer that's on my side. I can only hear this. And once I hear this loud distraction of this officer trying to break George's window, then he's demanding things. And I can hear George asking him, what did he, you know, what did he want him to do? So he's asking and, him. So George wasn't saying, get away from the car. Leave me alone. I'm not going to get out. No, Nothing like that. No, no, not at all. No. In fact, he was only asking. He said, what do you want me to do? He, the, the officer started George, first of all, by bluntly banging on the window. Once he done that, then I can um, see Mr. George putting his hands above the steering wheel of the, of the, of the vehicle. And once he did that, then I witnessed the officer reaching in and grabbing Mr. Floyd's hands. Now, when they grabbed when they grabbed George's hands and put him behind his back in the videotape, it seemed like it took a long time to get him out of the car. What was happening during that time? He was asking them questions. They asked him, let me see your hands. George showed him his hands over the steering wheel. And when they when he did that, the officer reached in and grabbed his hands. Now, keep in mind, he did start him by like he was trying to break the window, open the door. He he demanded he it, what I believe the energy was set wrong by the police when they approached him because they 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 approach with like uh, our energy where it, it started. Mr. Floyd, that's what I believe. And he was just trying to defuse the situation as best, as humbly that he could. The man asked him, what did he want him to do? Mr. Joyce, and then the cop said, put your hands up. Show me your hands. Floyd showed him hands, put his hands in the air as a sign of, here go my hands. I'm not moving in the vehicle. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, um, flee or no. George was saying things like that. George was saying things like, I'm good. I'm not going to do anything. Here it is. He, he was speaking that way. By 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 actions, by, by actions. showing him, here's my hands over the steering wheel. When he shows his hands and mm -hmm. put them over the steering wheel, the cop reaches in and grabs his arms. Got it. When he grabs his arms, George asks the cop, "Why why are you grabbing me with the uses for it? Why are you doing this? You ask to see my hand. Here go my hands." He's a big fella. Now it's a cop. One officer is tussling with George's hands while George is still sitting in a peaceful form. He's in his vehicle. And the cop is, it's like, it seems as if he was trying to pull him out or something. I can't really, you know. Did you hear them the telling officer. George to get out of the car? No, I just, uh, I witnessed and remember the officer then from my side taking off to his partner's side. Right. Now it's two cops on George's side. Did you hear they start yeah. shouting gun or the reporting was that they thought someone may have a gun or and that's why there was an urgency. Did anybody in the vehicle have a weapon? No, they didn't find a weapon. They detained the car. So, I mean, if it was a weapon involved, you guys, I'm sure it would have came out. There's no weapon. 
All right. No, th thank you, Ashley. And also the reason I'm asking is, uh, Counselor, and obviously uh, it's an obvious question, Mo, because the idea of did they ask George, do you have a gun? And he didn't answer. Or was there anything that you remember that gave an officer any reason to believe that there was a weapon? No, sir. At this point, once they reached for Mr. George's Floyd's hands, it took the whole situation into a, a turmoil that didn't have to be. All George was doing was just trying to stay humble and trying to be relaxed as possible. And once they dragged him out the vehicle and he stood up, the cop that was on his side, those two cops, they, I get, I don't know, they was intimidated maybe. I don't know what they were thinking at the time, but they, uh, George, he, he again was in peaceful form. He retreated to his knees saying, Hey man, in so many words, y'all don't, I'm, I've been hurt. I've been hurt, officer. Please, officer. In other, in other words, like, why are y'all detaining or, or using such force right now with me? Um, I mean, here I am. I'm so we don't assisting. see George. We don't see George fighting in the video. Uh, we see the officers taking him out. It's a little bit of a tussle in the car to get him out. That's why I'm asking you those questions, how it went. Then we see him right. sitting on the ground by the store where you guys were. And there's time passing, and they're talking. What was that about? Do you remember? Um, they had me detained at that time on the other side, as you said. Um, I could see and witness across the street and hearing him talking. And uh, I witnessed other cops still down and, and, like, still, like, to me, I could see him taunting them. Chris, are you talking about before they cross the street? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Counselor, remember how, like, in the video, I don't know how much of it you've digested at this point, but yes. one of the questions here, uh, Counselor, is why it took so long. You know what I mean? Whatever they were doing in the store, whatever they felt the call was about and what the stop was about, you know, the job is to arrest these guys if they think they have probable cause and take them away. Uh, but this took such a long time that has never made sense. And that's why I'm asking this way, Counselor. So if you can help me along with it, that's great. But, Mo, my point is they could have, once they pulled them out of the car, they could have put you in a cruiser and taken you away if they thought they had probable cause for arrest. But they didn't. Correct. That's right. That's right. They contained, they corralled me, and then they was only focused on George, Mr. George, which he was doing a peaceful protein. He was in his humblest form. He's on the ground. And, and Chris, from, from what Mr. Hall has told me from the beginning, this, you know, as he set the stage, Mr. Floyd was shocked by this when they came to, this, came to his car. So he was trying to gather what was happening. He was trying to figure out what, you know, what was going on, what did they want. He, he continued to tell them. Uh, that he was he was not resisting. not resisting, doing what they wanted him to do and trying to figure out what it was about. Um, you saw within seconds, really, of approaching the car, they put him in handcuffs mm -hmm. uh, and and then led him across. Right. You know, my client will tell you, he said, you know, I've been hurt before. Please. What is this about? Right. So, um, Counselor, we're showing right now, just so you understand, we're showing like kind of three moments in. OK, you have let's let's look at moment one. They approach the vehicle. Moment two, they have uh, George uh, Floyd up against the wall. He's sitting on the on the ground against the wall, which I believe is part of the store where they were. Your uh, client was on the other side uh, of the street. That's right. And why did they sit him down there, Mo? And what were they asking him? You know, like what, what was the point of having him on the ground and talking to him there? Do you remember? 
I do not. Only thing I can remember, I thought, I thought that they were still fighting and tussling with him. The only reason he was on the ground. Yeah, but he uh, was just, he was sitting there. And then they pick him up and they start taking him uh, to an SUV and he falls on the ground. They then kind of half have him and then he's back on the ground again. What were you seeing there? What was going on? I witnessed them at this point that you're speaking of. He's very well handcuffed. When they have put him in the cruiser car, then they pulls him back out. Yeah. But I, I have to shift down at this point to see from my angle, and and from that angle, I can see him like as they was taunting him, like they was taking, you know, like just I don't know. It looked like they was. Now, mind you, that prep soundbite was literally how he prepped his show that, you know, uh, being uh, being peaceful, just trying to shut people up when 58% of Americans are done with this shit. Black people are done with this. Everybody's done with this shit. It's over. You had your fun. But did you hear what he was saying? And I'm not going to disparage the guy. I'm just saying, I'm being honest. This is once again another one of those, we don't have any real witnesses, but they're going to bring him on because they're going to prep the field. It's all the propaganda the media does. It's the same reason why the fucking Michael Brown shit got out of control so that we have Whitmer today still saying hand up, don't shoot, which is a fucking lie. But the media doesn't want facts. CNN, who calls themselves a we're real news, brings him on, and he has nothing but what he thinks the guy was doing, what he thinks he said, and then the lawyer having to say, ah, he really didn't see anything. But then they show videos for the first time that I've ever seen that George Floyd couldn't even walk. Which does make what the cop did way worse, in my mind. But the guy was so fucked up on drugs... He couldn't walk. He was stumbling. It makes what the cops did worse because he wasn't... He couldn't have been resisting that hard because the guy was all fucked up. But it takes away the murder thing because it looks like homie OD'd. But we can't get truth out of any of this because we're no longer in truth. We have the same white guy that makes all his money doing black autopsies and trying to get people money and suing people and calling it racial injustice. And the real coroner says, yeah, no. It's such propaganda that we now go on to Tom Cotton. So Tom Cotton goes in and does what the morning consult 58% 58% of registered voters said they were in favor of bringing in the military to stop it, and 33% of the respondents said they strongly support with 25 somewhat. Alex Thompson, New York Times reporters in a rare open revolt over the opinion side running Tom Cotton's op-ed calling to deploy the military to dest- restore order. J.C. Fortin, uh... Lil Erhurt, uh, Carly Weaver, running this puts black New York Times staff in danger. That's what they all tweeted. It was coordinated, because everything's coordinated on the left. If, I, if I'm ever jealous as an independent of the left, it is their coordination. I've been saying it in tweets of getting nuked by the fucking mob. I had to delete like 20 people last night, just because I, Karen Tumley, 
was attacking people about Trump, and I said, you know what, um, it's not constitutionally protected to riot and loot. And all her Autobots, well, they were all saying, well, that was last week. It's still happening, dickhead. It's, it's still happening. We're still looting. They stole fucking vehicles, tanks, Mavs, or tanks as they call them. Just yesterday, from a police department, we were rolling them down the street. But her Autobots went crazy because I because I did it, but they are so coordinated, and I guess my point, I just got sidetracked. My point was, 22 vets a day die. Maybe we vets need to start blowing shit up because it seems obvious if you blow up an Amazon warehouse, you get a whole propaganda arm shoved into fucking everybody's prime feed, and all these people just coordinate the comments, and it's universal. You can't get away from this stuff if you even wanted to, because every business is doing, the NFL's doing, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but the propaganda is so incredible, I don't know how they do it. So, Derek Hunter, I was reliably informed by leftist media just a few days ago that a secret cabal of white supremacists were behind the violence and looting. Seems like unleashing the military to bring them down would be a good thing we can agree on. Yeah, isn't that true? Jamie Hugh, Jasmine Hughes, running this puts Black Lives staff in danger. James Bennett, Times Opinion, owes it's our, it to our readers to show them counter-arguments, particularly those made by people in position to set policy. We understand that many readers find Cotton's argument painful, even dangerous. We believe this one reason is require public scrutiny and debate. These people just forget the 92 riots. They forget the 67 Watts riots. They forget all the times that active troops were brought in. It's like it's never happened in our history. They even got like 87 uh, fucking secretaries of defense to come in and go, using troops on civilian is unconstitutional. No, it's not. It's happened before. We've done it. Grant Addison, this paper published Aragon, Vladimir Putin, and the Taliban. No such outrage or public weeping. It's so true. Lindsey Krauss, my entire feed running this puts Black New York Times staff in danger. Eric Erickson, not really sure why this op-ed by Senator Cotton is generating such a meltdown. Over 50% of Americans actually support it. Madison Morris, good time to remind people, 58% support it. China's lying. These are activist tactic. Make an accusation, get a bunch of other people blasted out, and pummel the target into submission. He's so fucking right. Don't bother backing it up, because that's not the point. It's not debate. It's coercion. Journalist against journalism. The New York Times woke Slack channel puts my mental health in danger every fucking day. I started off in disagreement. I ended up informed about it. It's more recent use, but still unconvinced. That's not surprising, as I've always found Cotton too bellicose. But that his op-ed is dangerous, that's insane. Dozens of New York Times employee reporting calling out sick. They didn't go to work. John Noonan must be nice to be able to take sick time while 30 million Americans are unemployed. That's a good job. White privilege much, people said, which is so fucking true. Uh, my boss sucks. Is there a single person at the New York Times that gets just how out of touch they are? And somebody sent a Batman meme with virtue signal. 
going to laugh. But this is this is once again the paper they gave Vladimir Putin, the Taliban, Maduro op-eds. Those people are bad, but Republicans to the left are evil. They're evil people. Sorry, I keep lighting a lighter, but I'm smoking a stove today. And once again, because of the headline, in regards to his church visit, New York Times again lets leftist Twitter at its front page. Monday evening, as chaos spreads, Trump vows to end it now. The off-lead story directly below it read, President issues threat to send military. After left-wing outcry, including from former Obama staffer John Lovett, Ben Rhodes and AOC, Tuesday front page was quickly and radically altered, presumably to please the paper's new crop of quasi-editors. The banner now reads, Trump threatens to send troops into states. What kind of paper lets its readers edit it? So by the end of the day, and the woke scolds were just like Antifa. They burned down the New York Times warehouse. Times spokesman send Mia culpa. We've examined the piece and the process leading up to its publication. The review made clear that a rushed editorial process led to the publication of an op-ed that did not meet our standards. As a result, we're planning to examine both short-term and long-term changes to include expanding our fact-checking operation. Ben Shapiro, the New York Times wants to avoid all mistakes, opinions, and facts, as you just shut its doors entirely. Problem solved. All the woke staffers can then find jobs with less obviously evil organization. I noticed none of them quit their job over Cotton's op-ed. Yashar Ali, the New York Times confirms the editor of the editorial page did not read it. Dylan Byers, two questions. I put the New York Times. What specific standard did the op-ed not meet? Did Jay Bennett read the op-ed? My reporting indicates that the opinion section of the newspaper is contemplating the slashing of up to one-fifth of its daily output. The better to exert greater oversight over pieces like cottons. In his statement on the topic, New York Times editor page James Bennigan hasn't mentioned that he actually read the piece. The world just did this. Remember when the New York Times published an op-ed, What We the Taliban Went? They even published pedophilia, a disorder, not a crime. We covered it on the show. Maps are good, Republican senator bad. And for those new to the show, map is minor attracted person. Your group, lefties, they want them to be part of the LGBTEIEIO cabal. Rough translated, these are all replies. Left-leaning op-ed, good. Right-leaning, bad. Michael Gargarnio. I'm old enough to remember the liberals used to go around quoting Voltaire. I don't agree with what you say, but I will defend the death you're right to say it. Now they want to shut up everyone they disagree with. Translation. We let a point of view that was not in lockstep with our desired view leak into our paper. They're not going to print anything from here till 2020, or till the election, sorry. None of it. 
will get out. It's going to be what it always is, a liberal rag. The New York Times has not been an objective news source since Obama. The moment Obama got elected, the New York Times was just in love. And so they just pushed fucking drivel out of the far left. How do I know? New York Times stands up for violent Antifa versus Trump. And conservative commentators are asserting with little evidence that Antifa, the far-left anti-fascist active movement, coordinated the riots and looting that sprang from the protests. Untruths, conspiracy theories, and other false information are running rampant online. Biggest piece of process misinformation tracked by Zingus Lab. The Antifa narrative gained traction because long-established network of hyper-partisan social media influencers now work together like a weld-oiled machine. Did you hear that? No! The facts came out. They had to protect their henchmen because they need these brown shirts because it makes people scared. And the left loves people scared because when you're scared, you're isolated. When you're isolated, their propaganda starts to work and you start asking yourself a question. Well, am I wrong? Do I think it's, you know, am I all fucked up because I think day 11 of protests are a bit much? And they put out that one tweet they found was a white supremacist. And remarkably, CNN and the left quit talking about Antifa violence altogether because they got their white supremacist ghost. And it sounded like this. Okay, a really important development uh, in terms of all the talk you've heard about Antifa from the president, etc., and these protests, etc. Twitter overnight saying an account that called for violence and claimed to be part of Antifa was actually run by a group of well-known white supremacists. To be clear, the president, and not just the president, but also the attorney general, have been pinning all the violence, all the looting on the far left for days now. They continue to. Sheena Zdoni, Saul O'Sullivan, uh, with us now, so, so what we're seeing here is, is is you have this coming from from multiple directions. Is that right? Absolutely, Jim. Yes, the president specifically has been calling out Antifa, which is a far left group who have used violence uh, in the past, even threatening on Sunday to um, label them a terrorist organization. So, with that in mind, a tweet began circulating on Sunday, and I think we can bring it up on screen that claimed to be from Antifa. The tweet read: "Alert! Tonight's the night, comrades. Tonight we say f the city and we move into residential areas, the white hoods, and we take what's ours." Now, Twitter now tells us that that was not actually run by left-wing activists. It was run by white nationalists. Now, it's important to say that, you know, this doesn't mean that Antifa is doing nothing here. But what this does confirm is suspicions that right-wingers are posing online as Antifa to inflame tensions. Oh, Oh, looks like we just lost Donny there. Technology Mm -hmm. issue, it happens. Uh, We thank him for that reporting. But you should go and read more about it. It's very important what Twitter uncovered overnight. All done. We found our boogeyman. It's a white supremacist. You know, that's the most amazing thing about all this. Well, you have no proof that Antifa is doing this, but you have no proof there's white supremacists anyway because nobody can see fucking white supremacists. But there is proof that Antifa and BLM looters, at least five police officers reportedly shot, one on life support. Over and over. NYPD said they made approximately 500 arrests for burglaries citywide, but approximately 400 of them in Manhattan. The numbers will go up as more arrests processed, but they got released with a debit card 
and a burner phone. Every liberal city that's had this violence has just done a revolving door. They go straight the fuck back out. And what does the left do? Well, let's let Laura Logan take out the New York Times before we move on to what BLM, you know, they, you know, them with the Antifa burned down Amazon, got Amazon on board, but you won't believe all the shit they're asking for. You know, uh, the president had suggested that he would uh, essentially designate them a terror group, but legal experts are saying that's kind of hard because there is no central leadership. It's more of a movement. You know, each town might have five people or ten people. It's just kind of scattered, they say. Yeah, it is scattered, and that's by design because it's a massive network that spreads, you know, all across the U.S. and across the world, actually. It's a global movement, and that's not my words. That's their words, right? And, of course, legal experts, all these people um, want you to believe that you can't designate them. Why? Because it brings with it very significant authorities. So, for example, all those people contributing bail money now to members of Antifa and other anarchist groups, if they're terrorist organizations, um, then they're contributing to terrorist groups and that's illegal so that will the money will dry up certainly sources of funding will dry up why do they move across state lines to go and commit crimes well they do it because then they get in their cars or get on the planes and they go back to where they came from and uh, you can't get them well you can if they're designated as terrorists so it, this is a very significant designation and it shuts down many of their authorities and when you hear people coming at you about that whether they know it or not they're just contributing to the propaganda. And Steve, I can tell you the propaganda is in overdrive right now. On the Antifa websites and through their network of people on different social media forms and even in the New York Times today, quite astonishing. Um, they're literally collecting data and dismissing all of this. What you're seeing in front of your eyes, they're saying is a conspiracy theory. I mean, I, they've mm -hmm. used conspiracy theory. That's an information warfare term that's meant to shut down any conversation and to silence and to intimidate and to get us to self-censor because we don't want to be accused of being crazy right-wing conspiracy theorists. They want us to believe we're divided. They want it to be about Republican, Democrat, but it's not. And every single thing you're seeing is to incite a response, to incite white people, for example, to take up their guns and say, I'm going to defend my homes, and to incite the police to act, to incite the National Guard soldier to pull the trigger and give them exactly what they want, which is an excuse to get rid of this president, to get rid of this administration and ultimately um, liberation begins where America dies. That's what they want. That's in their words. It's not a conspiracy theory. The New York Times should be ashamed of itself for printing such blatant propaganda. Go to their websites. Either you didn't do your job or you're on someone else's team, but you're not serving the Constitution of the United States because that document is ultimately what it's all about. That's what stands between America now, today, as Americans have known it all their lives and this world where America has to die in order for their world to exist. When this still first, you know, broke out, I literally researched them. We went to their websites and we did we did um, snippets from their websites for weeks on this show. And what they were really asking for. It was right after they got validated by CNN and Chuck Todd. You know, they were good people. Because not all punches are the same morally. 
And then all you found was, well, we talked to Antifa. They're anti-fascists. Glowing pieces. Because once they got there, they go, wait a minute, they're just like me, except they act on it. I think it's right to go punch a guy that owns an AR-15. I think it's great to go burn down conservative businesses. I think Christians are horrible. I think those pro-life protesters who go and try to stop people from having abortions should be killed. This is what the left thinks. They hate you. They fucking hate you. Or this is America today is another deplorable fucking moment, and the media didn't even look at it. They just ignored it. Because they agree. Look at this shit. BLM protests turn into deadly riots. Celebs sign letter demanding defund the police. Celebs blame Trump for the start of the second civil war. Hollywood triggered by Trump's Bible reference forced himself on a church and they're just, they're heinous shit. I just don't even want to cover because it it's, it's what they do over and over and oh, it's just always church horrible. You're fucking horrible. Ah. I mean, for fuck's sake, people. I, I, God damn. So, it is so rampant on the left, and, and I'm not like the regular conservative person, because I'm an end. Let them defund their police. We just played the Ferguson effect. These fucktards, they want $57 because they let their town get burned down. What are they going to ask when everything goes away? Look at Portland. Antifa owns that bitch. The mayor doesn't, he ain't in charge of shit. But there's, there it is. Uh, abolishing the police is becoming a more popular idea among left-wingers. Also want to shut down TV shows about cops. I'll cover that in a second. Amanda Terkel. The police have decided to respond to accusations of violence and unchecked power with more violence and unchecked power. Have to believe that the backlash is going to be huge. Police violence has been on full display and all the protest coverage. No. Once again... American people aren't stupid. They know you push play as they do something. But we know they did. you did something before you push play. Just like this fucking Floyd case to begin with, it wasn't, we're just going to fuck with this dude. Something happened that we're purposely not seeing. You're not showing it on purpose because you want... The desired effect. You want anarchy. That's what you want. That's what BLM wants. That's what Antifa wants. That's what all these fucker want. They don't, they're not on the up and up. They have an ulterior motive. Um, it, it goes on. Richard Grinnell, shameful. The Huffington Post reporter, and this was a HuffPo person, makes a sweeping judgment about all police. This is the kind of garbage blogging that is totally unhelpful. And in there, over the past week, protests have broken our nationwide 
over police brutality that targeted black people, blah, 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 blah. The death of George Floyd at the hands of former Indianapolis police officers last week united the Fuhrer, but the anger goes far beyond that one incident. At the heart of this debate is whether police have too much power and commit acts of discrimination and violence and impunity. The word of the police is given to the ultimate weight and authority in dispute. The police have been out in full response, responding to anti-racist protests, and their overwhelming response to the accusation of violence and unchecked power has been more violence than unchecked power. Anti-racist protests. That's not what we're doing. This isn't an anti-racist protest. It's goddamn criminal conduct. Then you got Ilian Omar. She comes in. The Minneapolis Police Department has proven themselves beyond reform. It's time to disband them. And reimagine public safety in Minneapolis. So it's their type of police force. Jason Howerton. Just when I feel like the blue wave could actually be a possibility, Ilian Omar comes through in the clutch with this insane disband the police plan. Democrat states should all adopt this and see how voters react. Ben Shapiro, disband the police is a great idea. I hope all Dems do it. Tim Poole, Biden adopted abolish the police as a campaign promise, then Trump would stop campaigning and win 538 electoral votes. AOC, Right on board. But I woke up yesterday and it was cop shows. Cop shows are evil. Can't have cop shows. Why do we have a cop shows? We need to get rid of cop shows. Cop shows. Cop shows. Cop shows. By evening, live PD did not run. They've been off for two weeks. They did not run it. They were not going to run it. And we don't know if they're ever going to run it. Because they bowed to the fucking mob. That's not what America wants. None of this is what America wants. It's what the small percentage of fucking extremists wants. But when you're killing people and burning shit, people get scared. Black Lives Matter issue demands urge crowd to disrupt white capitalism over the weekend. Gun sales surge 80%. What does Martha Raddatz do? Your Lincoln Memorial, the photo I thought of. What did Lego do? Request affiliates pull marketing for police. Fire play sets following George Floyd deaths. Because now firemen are bad. Mm, that's really interesting. So here's some sound bites. NBC News attacked by peaceful protesters. Cuomo de Blasio sucks. Antifa members scratched get tourniquet. Dog bites protester. I left my ass off because they kept shaking their ass in front of them. Fixing vandalism is racist again. Another one. We played in the beginning, but here's another one. Rioters get messed up. Say, call 911. I've seen about 10 of these. You want to disband the police, but when you get fucked with, you want to call the police. Well, what does that actually mean? Rioter going into convulsions of fear of getting cuffed. And these peaceful protests, yeah, they use a fucking forklift to loot a Best Buy. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
option as governor, we have the National Guard. I say to the cities in New York, I have National Guard who are available if you need them. I have state police who are available if you need them. Um, New York City, which the president has tweeted about, he's saying, uh, well, I don't know exactly what he's saying in tweets, but uh, the facts of the New York City situation are this. The mayor of New York City says he doesn't need the National Guard and he doesn't think they would be helpful. Uh, and he can do it with the NYPD. First, uh, the NYPD and the mayor did not do their job last night. I believe that. Uh, second, you have 38,000 NYPD people. It is the largest police department in the United States of America. Use 38,000 people and protect property. Use the police, protect property and people. Look at the videos. It was a disgrace. I believe that. Uh, I believe the mayor underestimates the scope of the problem. I think he under underestimates the duration of the problem. Uh, and I don't think they've used enough police to address the situation because it's inarguable, but that it was not addressed last night, right? So facts, okay? This is a glass of water. This is not a glass of milk. It's a fact. There's still facts in life. What happened in New York City was inexcusable. Well, uh, the governor should use the National Guard in New York City. I've offered the National Guard. The mayor has said he can handle it with the NYPD. Uh, my option is to displace the mayor of New York City and bring in the National Guard as the governor in a state of emergency and basically take over, you would have to take over the mayor's job. You'd have to displace the mayor, right? Uh, a, I don't think we're at that point. B, that would be such a chaotic uh, situation in the midst of an already chaotic situation uh, I don't think that makes any sense. Miguel Marquez, who's live for us in St. Paul, Minnesota. And Miguel, you're at a protest at the state capitol building. Tell us more. Uh, we were here last night. There are about two or 300 pro protesters. And I got to tell you, we're in a five minutes of silence right now. I'm going to show you. Take this off. I'm going to show you how big this crowd is. It is absolutely massive. Thousands and thousands of people have showed up. If the, if the president thought 
his photo op yesterday was going to have an effect, this is the result. I can breathe. Now you're good, bro. You're good. Yeah, good, good, good. Good, good, good. good. It's all right. 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 It's all want that to come off. But so you don't care about black lives then? That's, not That's what this... Not enough to leave up a message. Right. Not, not a great way to use your white privilege, ladies. Not a great... That's disgusting. Yo, call the police, call the police. Somebody call the police.
show how much the propaganda is, I mean, it's just next level shit. We're in the COVID. States that have backed off and they're not having protests have already gone back to lockdown status. There was a report, 19,000 new cases of COVID in Minneapolis or Minnesota. I don't think that was true. It's probably like 1,900. But there's cases everywhere. The National Guard got it, everything. So what do we do? Well, we're caught in the lie that we said lockdown protests are a bunch of grandma-killing racist white supremacists. So we start prepping for after the protest. Because remember, just the big cities are still protesting. Mark D. Levine. He's a that piece of shit councilman. Let's be clear about something. If there's a spike in coronavirus cases in the next two weeks, don't blame the protest. Blame racism. <laughs> and let's remember that police are increasing COVID risks by using tear gas, hurting demonstrators in tight spaces, and putting them in jails. Now, he knows that's a lie because they're letting them walk through New York City. He knows that's a lie because they don't go to jail, you revolving door, because they're black. If they're black, they don't get arraigned. If you're white, you get arraigned in New York City. If you're poor, you don't get charged with anything. You just walk out the goddamn door. That's what they're doing. We report it. I'm not making it up. This isn't Alex Jones. I'm not a white supremacist. That's the fact, Jack. Amanda Mole, I'm sorry, by 8 p.m. is an absolutely insane curfew for a city in which much of the population famously does not even eat dinner until 9. She was one of the biggest your grandma killers. That's a journalist. NPR brings in a bunch of scientists. I just did air quotes. These are the same people that did the climate change stuff. They were all going to die in eight months, eight years, next year. We didn't have ice in 2014. It was global warming, then cooling, then climate change. Yeah, these people. Dozens of public health and disease experts have signed a letter supporting protests because white supremacy is a lethal public health issue. <laughs> let's let's do some math for a second, okay? Where are these white supremacists? Do, do you remember 400 people, 490 tiki torch people? A bunch of looter losers watch walking through Charlottesville. Nobody got hurt until Anifa attacked them. And then a racist killed a lady. Do remember that? What we've seen on our TV, what we've seen on Twitter, if you're paying attention, what my mom just saw, ten times worse. And they're the good guys, you say. BLM and Antifa. They're the good guys. Killing Captain Dorn over a TV. Because once again, it's propaganda. That's our theme for the whole show. Propaganda. NPR, dozens of public health and disease experts have signed an open letter. White supremacy is a lethal public health issue that predates 
and contributes to COVID-19. Because we're still playing that, hey, yeah, it's white supremacists that are making black people go to protest and get COVID. Okay. Charles Cook, beyond parody, barbers were arrested. Hairdressers were arrested for trying to keep their businesses alive. But looting and rioting is okay. It's impossible to legally operate in a country that literally has two sets of rules, which is ironically what is being protested right now. I cannot begin to describe the damage the story has done to the credibility of health experts everywhere. Shame on NPR. Hardly 10% of those participating in the Google Docs stunt are legitimate public health servants. Ben Shapiro, so the greatest economic downturn in American history with all its obvious health costs wasn't enough of a rationale to end locking down. But protesting police brutality was sound, sounds super sciency. Article, dear April Ryan, are you passing out your coronavirus treatment waivers? Because remember, this is what she said. Should a stay at home protester endangers Americans by not following CDC guidelines? about physical distancing, be required to sign a waiver refusing medical attention at a hospital? Remember, they said, you should not even fucking get a ventilator. New York Times, new study suggests widespread use of tear gas could intensify COVID-19 pandemic. It's propaganda. They spun it up because they knew eventually these riots are going to stop and then they're going to get hit with their hypocrisy. So what do we do? We make more propaganda. We're the media. Sajaya Drake, the D.C. liberals never disappoint. These tweets are like a day apart. Adam Parthamacon, a bunch of selfish assholes in Arlington, Virginia this evening. Adam Parthamacon, big crowd today outside the White House. And Drew Holden said, fuck it. I'm going to bring all these motherfuckers to light. Because it's gas lighting. Bridget Phetasy, the gaslighting that's going on is next level. Don't you dare shame people for wondering why last week protesting was killing grandma and today it's acceptable. This is an absolute valid question. Kids lost months of schooling, businesses were destroyed, hospitals went under. Educate Hillbilly, all my hard work and long hours the last three months seems to have been for nothing. Breaking 9-11. Early in New York City, hospital staff applaud the protest. They went outside and clapped them. <clears throat> Drew Holden. Conservatives aren't mad because they're a protest. We're mad because all of you said we were evil for suggesting mere weeks ago that some things are too important to keep locked down. Don't remember? Well, lucky for you, Twitter is free and the Internet is forever. Some of the best examples are the pushback to Bethany Mandel for suggesting that some things seem to need to reopen. Joe Lockhart really led the hyena vitriol. You're a grandma killer, yes, but you're also a nurse killer, a doctor killer, a cop killer, a grocery clerk killer, a student killer, five-year-old killer, a bus driver killer, a father killer who just had a child killer, a family killer. Good people take care of their community. Next tweet. Should we just round up all the black people and hold them until they can prove they are not Antifa? How about we go after some of the right-wing hate groups? They've killed a whole lot more people than Antifa. Get back to me when we can. Where are they? And once again, where are they? Where are these white supremacists 
that you blame for everything. Because I don't see them. I see a bunch of white, skinny jean wearing, chai latte drinking fuckheads beating and killing people. It's all over Twitter, Joe. Joe Lockhart clearly thinks some protests are better than others. For all the Americans ignoring the stay-at-home mandate, could you please wear your red mega hat so we don't confuse you with first responders? Tony Posonsky. Here's the whole thing. You can call me Grandma Killer. This is Bethy Mandel. You're so brave. You go to the Golden Corral and rejoice your bravery with the other brave people at the Brave Buffet. <clears throat> Next tweet. These are Trump supporters at the protest making the BLM movement look bad. The same ones that carry guns into government building. The same ones that violently attack peaceful protesters. The same racist fuckers. Don't you dare tell me any different. Fuck these assholes. Kurt Eichenwall. Heads up, Grandma Killer. Since Fox makes you stupid, not many kids are dying of COVID. Instead, as Brits in New York report, they're getting comorbid Pediatric multi-symptom inflammatory syndrome that was made up and was a fake photo. Is there anyone other than anarchists who disagree? Real protesters are there to demand racial justice, relying on their First Amendment rights. People who throw Molotov cocktails are criminals. Equating them as the same is like saying, since U.S. Nazis support GOP, all GOP are Nazis. You say that, Kurt. They have no, they have no, no inner self. I mean. I started with Chris Cuomo. It was just perfect. And he literally does it. Every protester lockdown was a white supremacist Nazi. Now, how dare you say these riots are not violent? I can wall again. Okay, everyone remember call Bethany Grandma Killer. Then, Kirk, the dumbasses of both parties would rather go to a bar and kill a bunch of people by becoming carriers than to act like they are part of society. The Republicans are perfectly willing to discuss acceptable losses of kids dying so the schools can reopen. And then there are the kill grandma Fox News idiots. Replying to Drew, okay, but it wasn't just a response to Bethany Mandel. Here's New York Governor Cuomo, who overseen the worst disaster in New York since 9-11 and performed about as poorly as one could. He also encouraged protests now as looters and vandals destroy New York City. <clears throat> How many people have to die before the people ignoring social distancing get that they have a responsibility? One person sneezes, another person get intubated. Don't be reckless with your life. And especially don't be reckless with other people's lives. These are our individual tweets. New York is a community that means we rely on each other. We all need to practice social distancing. That part of social distancing, especially now when it counts. There are justified peaceful protests across the state tonight, but there are also people criminally exploiting the pain in this movement. We will not tolerate it. Governor Whitmer. Governor Whitmer, this is not a partisan issue, a political rally like that, where people aren't wearing masks and they're in close quarters. You know that that's precisely what makes this kind of a disease drag out. Governor Whitmer says today protests in Michigan Capitol, the kind of behavior that extends the need for stay-at-home order. Governor Murphy, when they write the history books that COVID-19 will be able to say that we all did what we can to stop it, we'll have to save as many lives as possible, is it all our hands do that? Stay home. Reminded our young people, you're not immune to COVID. That was another tweet. Look at this map. Social distancing is showing the rate in which numbers are doubling. Ruben Blogger. 
Without ample testing, governors don't know how widely viruses spread. The true infection rate of the risk poised by relaxing stay-at-home orders. To the extent they resist stay-at-home orders, reverse more stringent orders or lift them prematurely, more people are likely to become sick. Three of these states have an increase a number of cases, grossly, recklessly irresponsible. Republicans, especially those older delegates and donors, should be aware that he cares about as much about their lives as he does about people protesting police brutality. Julie Ioff, even if you're feeling safe, stay home. Stop being safe and selfish and stay home. These are all individual tweets. At this point, it's just people spilling their rage and hurt at the police who are just staying there, not reacting. A bizarre listening session. Uh, Charlotte Clymer. It's understandable that young people are questioning the guidance to stay home and avoid infecting older folks because they're angsty over climate change. If you express this or agree with something other than along these lines the last 48 hours, you're a fucking asshole. A journalist covering the protests reached out to me wanted to speak to protesters in D.C. today about the reason they personally felt compelled to protest. Email me with your contact info. Barbara McQuaid. Ignore staying at home orders is selfish and ignorant. Constitutional rights are not absolute. Government may take reasonable steps to protect public health. So, constitutional rights. And this is my thing the whole time. They are saying anybody who did a protest for lockdown didn't have that constitutional right. But all the people burning, looting, and tearing shit up, that's their constitutional right. They have no integrity. They have no intellectual honesty. Because our next tweet, thank you, Mayor Taylor, Jerry Clayton, Chief Cox, for greet marching with our community today. April Ryan, we've already covered it. Red summer 1919 saw widespread violence against African Americans, compounded by the flu epidemic. She went back and did some research. Thunder, Scott Dorkin, please stop protesting. Coronavirus is here to stay. The danger of Trump's lies amidst the coronavirus. John Favreau. I, I'm, you, you got the point. So if you want to support the protest, this is Drew Holland again. Have at it, I do. George Floyd's killing is indisputable. We need change. But if you were saying weeks ago that anyone who wanted out of quarantine for any reason was evil, with all due respect, go fuck yourself. How could I have possibly forgotten Soledad O'Brien, the grandma killer montage? Thank you for letting us know we can call you a grandma killer. This is a really good example of what the media freely gets wrong covering and framing the president. What are President Donald Trump and his team thinking? If there ever were occasion to rise to this is it. The nation is thirsty for comfort and healing. Political playbook, Brian Seltzer. Drew Holden again. And given the riots and the national conversation our country is having, it's a good time to donate to good causes, no matter what you think on the issue. Here's a good list in Minneapolis. And I know many of, of you are in D.C. One easy way you can help people in your community who are hurting and enjoying a delicious meal is to have your next takeout from a black-owned business. And they show a list of black-owned business, which is now not racist. Nancy Pelosi... American people have made it clear we must maintain social distancing as we work to protect. And then she went to the protest. Whitmer spokesman. 
Tiffany Brown denied the governor violated her own executive order issue money that she remained six feet apart in public gathering. Gathering her response, the governor took precautions for engaging in outdoor activity, including wearing a mask, even though it's not required outdoor under the order. Contrary to the administration's own guidance posted online, Brown said the Unity March didn't violate her latest order. That includes the right to peaceful protest, she said. However, Page, a frequently asked questions about the order on the governor's website, specifically said, persons may engage in expressive activities protecting the First Amendment within the state of Michigan, but must adhere to social distancing and take six feet apart. It's the same lady who said they were all fucking white supremacist Nazis, and they stormed the Capitol after getting a temperature check. Here's their photo ops, which, of course, the media didn't call photo ops. That is the Capitol grounds and absolutely not Lafayette Park. I just saw the dome in the background. So perhaps she is headed to a um, uh, demonstration. Um, But, Melissa, I wanted to tell you that since we've been having our conversation, the court system in Minneapolis has put on its website, uh, indeed, the charge has been upgraded from murder three to murder two. And to piggyback on your earlier comments, I am guessing what prosecutors want so badly to avoid is kind of uh, over overshooting the target uh, on a murder charge, um, applying a murder charge that w- they can walk away from a courtroom. And I had a soundbite of the media parroting the same stuff. It's racism. It's not that we broke the stay-at-home. They won't cover this stuff. And if they do, it'll be more of the same. It was just racism, or it was Trump's fault, or the police were spraying them with tear gas with COVID. They're so desperate. Stephen Miller, 21,000 tweets from a photo taken in 2015 when Barack Obama was president. Part of the, he was bunker boy, the lights were turned out at the White House. Hillary Clinton, Axelrod, all of them carried it. it Representative Debbie Mercusel Powell. It's all a lie. It was Obama. He did it. I don't even know the reason why he did it. And then you have the op-eds. People, white people. This is what you need to do. Attention, white people. Your BLM memes are not enough. The nation. The family as we know it is an anti-queer factory for producing workers rife with power, asymmetrics, and violence. And the sole source of love, care, and protection against the brutalization of police, the market, work, and racism many of us have got. Yeah, that, 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 I just let, I, I labeled this obey. This is the worst of the worst of the media just saying obey. And I'll go straight in to they rolled out Obama because let's get more division. Did not describe looting as violence. Looting, uh, is property damage, but it is not violence. And I would actually like to go to Martin Luther King's own words. He uh, wrote a letter to the American Psychological Association in September of 1967. And what he said is that 
looting uh, comes from the most embraced and deprived Negro and allows them to take hold of consumer goods with the ease that a white man does by using his purse. Often the Negro does not even want what he takes. He wants the experience of taking. Negroes have committed crimes, but they are the derivative crimes, and they are born of the greater crimes of the white society. So when we ask Negroes to abide by the law, let us also demand that the white man abide by the law in the ghettos as well. So I think we need to have some perspective on what exactly yeah. we're seeing when we call that violence and looting. I, I think it's... It's so interesting to hear you say this, and it really made me sit up when DeRay said it, because this is how it's being framed. And I have to say that we are being, you know, criticized by, by some very prominent um, members of the black community, from LeBron James to various people in Congress to all over, that we're focusing maybe on the wrong thing, that we go just to one area and not to the other area with our cameras and our lenses and, and our reporting. And it's really, really interesting to try to break it down um, and, I, and I want to say, obviously, because you are the, 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 the producer of the 1619 Project, 400 Years Since Slavery in America, and you won the Pulitzer Prize for your work on that. And, and, you, and you've said, you know, among other things, people who've been left out of the social contract find no need to adhere it. And then somebody sort of, you know, checked you on that and said, not left out, excluded from the social contract. And you kind of agreed. You, you agreed with, with being, uh, you know, term checked, so to speak, on that. Absolutely. I mean, this is the thing. You are asking people whose communities have been looted for decades, who don't have proper schools, who don't have proper amenities, who have been, uh, you know, when we see someone killed by the police, that is the worst manifestation of police violence. But it doesn't get to the daily police violence that doesn't end in death, the daily degradations that black Americans face, uh, the fact that these communities have been uh, preyed upon by predatory lenders. You know, it goes on and on. And so when we, when we think about how someone taking an act to take something from some big box name store, um, it is symbolic. That one pair of shoes that you've stolen from, um, you know, Foot Locker is not going to change your life, but it is a symbolic taking. Uh, this is the other piece of the equation. When you see a nation, an entire nation, simultaneously grappling with an extraordinary crisis seated in 400 years of American racism? I'm sorry, that is not the same question as the understandably aggrieved store owner or the devout religious person who wants to go back to services. Uh, final point I'd make, the, I, I understand, I, I don't mean to make light of this, but I'm reminded of the song imagined by John Lennon. We played it at my inauguration. I, I think everyone who hears that song in its fullness thinks about what about a world where people got along differently? What about a world where we didn't live with a lot of the restrictions that we live with now? But we're not there yet. We are making a lot of progress, I truly believe. I believe the protest movements themselves, the peaceful protest is the essence of how we make progress. The reforms made within the NYPD are progress, deep progress. But for folks who say defund the police, I would say that is not the way forward. It is a sad day when we need curfews in our cities. 
America's major cities are filled with people demanding this country become more fair, more just, and ironically, more united. Now, too many see the protests as the problem. No, the problem is what forced your fellow citizens to take to the streets. Persistent and poisonous inequities and injustice. And please, show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Because I can show you that outraged citizens are the ones who have made America what she is and led to any major milestones. Be honest, this is not a tranquil time. They're not here to make power or you or me comfortable. They're here to yell, criticize, blame, and shame. You don't have to like it. But why not focus on remembering the reason for the pain that fuels their purpose? Police are the ones who are required to be peaceful, to de-escalate, to remain calm. They are, in fact, trained to do exactly that. So when one kneels on someone's neck for a long time and other police don't stop obvious deadliness, that's the problem. We can't be in a place where cops can act human and be forgiven, but citizens can have the same flawed responses and be justifiably killed or told to hold their tongues. Citizens have no duty to check their outrage or to ignore a curfew to keep doing that. They may get arrested because it's illegal, but that's their right as well. Looting, arson, violence. Now, that's something else. Don't confuse that with protest or the people doing it with protesters. There are bad people mixed in with good people in these situations. That's the truth. What role does racism play in these outcomes where you have black men dying at a greater rate than other populations at the hands of police? I don't believe racism plays a role in New York. I can only speak for what I've seen in New York City. And yet you've got these outcomes. And if those protesters heard you say that racism doesn't play a role, that's why they're here. That's why they're angry. They don't think you get it. I would never say that we are a racist police department. Absolutely not. So you have a problem there that is obvious to some people, but chief members of the NYPD police force at least don't want to name it. Uh, and if you don't name it, it can be hard to solve it. And when people say that racism isn't the issue or they don't believe that's the issue, it's such a contradiction and it's so hard to understand. That's why, that's exactly yeah. as you point out why people are in the streets. Yeah, you can bridge the gulf in Not part by taking a knee and joining hands, but if you can't say it along with them, it's hard to move forward. Even if your goal is to stop the looting, even if your goal is to dampen some of the tensions we've seen, how is putting lives at risk in front of the White House, how does it help that end, Laura? There were people whose lives were endangered for that picture. You know, tear gas rubber bullets, flashbang grenades. We saw people getting hit. People got hurt. People got hurt for this picture. And yes, even if your goal is to stop the looting, I just don't get how this helped that. Because it doesn't, John, because all it does essentially is take what has been the most iconic 
public forum, the place where people are able to express themselves, are able to engage in the purposeful protest across this country. There is no more fundamental right here that we talk about in the United States of America than the freedom of speech. That's all part of the First Amendment. It actually has five powers. Freedom of press, freedom to assemble, freedom to petition one's government. The idea of being able to express oneself in front of the White House has been so iconic, and it was converted instead into a version of Tiananmen Square. And why? Because the president wanted to have a photo opportunity. The idea that we would gas people, gas peaceful protests, simply to move them out of the way and then give a speech at some point to talk about why you want to hand in the, send in the military. But what is being talked about is excessive force, fundamentally excessive force. And so your solution to trying to show top down what the government's stance is on excessive force is to violate one's, violate the Constitution and the First Amendment and then to use excessive force to make your point. It is absurd is what it is. And then you've got the notion that in the one hand is in a speech, John, he wasn't talking about the First Amendment. He kind of signaled and your Second Amendment rights as if that was supposed to be some way of conveying or insinuating something. Maybe it was dog whistling. I don't know what it was. But what it was not was the leader of the executive branch of government whose job it is to enforce the law and the president of the United States arguing instead as commander in chief to look at protest through the prism of combat and threaten to send in the military. It is something that will never we I have never seen before. Many people looking at this and wondering and disoriented, what country is this? What sidewalk was that? Because surely it couldn't have been in front of the White House, which I know we've always termed the people's house. It wasn't yesterday. People were gassed. And why? For a selfie equivalent? It's absurd. Bakari, uh it doesn't feel like Anything is de-escalating. As Laura points out, the president is threatening to call in active military to crack down, a la Tiananmen Square. And the protesters don't want to stop protesting until meaningful change is made. Breaking overnight, America in crisis. We are following new reports of attacks on police officers overnight. This comes after we all saw... Attacks on peaceful protesters outside the White House. They were tear gassed so that President Trump could take a picture in front of a church. And Bakari, I want to start with you, and let's just establish a baseline here. I think we need to acknowledge that the baseline here is that America is in crisis, and there's a patchwork of things all going on at once here. 105,000 Americans have died in a pandemic. 40 million Americans have lost their jobs. We're seeing videos of black men being killed by police officers. Police officers were shot overnight. It's all happening. So the goal should be to make it better. So my basic first question to you is, how does a violent shutdown of peaceful protesters in front of the White House so the president can take a picture, how does that make it better? Yeah, and in your analysis, John, one of the other things that we have to mention is, is years of, of uh, systemic racism and injustice that have plagued black communities for a long time that are now overflowing in the streets. Look, yesterday, the, the president of the United States used tear gas. Um, he used the military against peaceful protesters. The only thing I could think of was George Wallace is probably looking up. And lastly, you're going to have to surge some economic relief to these communities that have been battered uh, economically uh, by the protests, 
by some of this, the, the, the arson, property destruction. A lot of those black businesses do not have insurance. Let's surge economic support into these communities. And now you're on a pathway back toward wholeness and toward healing. And you have 20, 30, 40, probably 50 million white Americans that would agree with everything I just said and be happy to see it in both parties. And you have people who always know that racism was a big issue, but it was number 17 on their list. Right now it's number one on a lot of people's lists. And you had other people who said racism wasn't real. And they say, you know what, it is real. We gotta do something. So this is a moment, just as in the case, bipartisan legislation and economic relief to these communities and you can turn you can turn a breakdown into a breakthrough. It has to I'm tired of crying about it. I'm tired of I'm tired of help although on the phone last night with black parents until damn near 10.30 in the morning, people talking about how, how do they talk to their six-year-old? How do they talk to their eight-year-old? What's appropriate for an 11-year-old? Should, should, should they be on social media? Should be, I mean, we're having to manage so much. Every time one of these cases happens, it's like an atomic bomb dropped at our kitchen table. And we have to deal with it over and over again. And, and, and it, it, it impacts these kids. And so it, this, this has to stop. It has to stop. You cannot continue. Uh, look, I was, I was, I'm in L.A. right now, 1992, Rodney King, a videotaped police beating that wound up being handled terribly, and this, this city almost burned down. We are on a pathway right now, Brooke, to five or ten American cities on fire by the end of this summer if we get one more videotape and another videotape and nothing done. How long are people supposed to deal with this pain and nobody's going to do anything about it? And so I'm telling you right now, there is a pathway on justice, it's bipartisan legislation, it's economic relief, and we can move forward to a better place. I am hanging on your every word, my friend. Uh, just bless you. Thank you so much for, for coming on, for sharing this moment with me and with really the rest of the world, Van Jones. I, I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is a, mostly a protest. Uh, it is not. Uh, it is not generally speaking unruly. But fires have been started. And and first thing I want to make perfectly clear: this has been almost entirely peaceful. In fact, completely peaceful. It's been a mostly peaceful protest. But then they chose to move in. Uh, Many of these protests have been largely peaceful. Mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm looking at those live pictures next to you, and they seem very peaceful. There are always folks on the fringes of protests that do the things that uh, we, don't, we don't like. A few people who break a few windows and burn a few cars. They just threw something on fire, Chris, a firecracker. No one should be destructing uh, property and that sort of thing. But I understand the anger. Discount people who are doing things to public property that, that they shouldn't be doing. It does have to be understood that this city has got, uh, for the last several years, an issue with police. So many good people out there who want change and who are demanding change. Our country was started because this is how the Boston Tea Party rioting. So don't do not get it twisted and think that oh this is some something that has not never happened before and then this is so terrible and where are we and these savages and all of that this is how this country was started. What can we do? 
Number one, we know there are specific evidence-based reforms that if we put in place today would build trust, save lives, would not show an increase in crime. Those are included in the 21st Century Policing Task Force report. You can find it on Obama.org. Number two, a lot of mayors and local elected officials read and supported the task force report, but then there wasn't enough follow-through. So today I am urging every mayor in this country to review your use of force policies with members of your community and commit to report on planned reforms. What are the specific steps you can take? And I should add, by the way, that the original task force report was done several years ago. Since that time, we've actually collected data, in part because we implemented some of these uh, reform ideas. So we now have more information and more data as to what works. And there are organizations like Campaign Zero uh, and Color of Change and others that are out there highlighting the, uh, what the data shows, what works, what doesn't in terms of reducing uh, incidents of police misconduct and violence, let's go ahead and start implementing those. So we need mayors, county executives, others who are in positions of power to say this is a priority. This is a specific response. Number three, every city in this country should be a My Brother's Keeper community because we have 250 cities, counties, tribal nations who are working to reduce the barriers and expand opportunity for boys and young men of color programs and policy reforms and public-private partnerships. So go to our website, get working with that, because it can make a difference. So a very, very uh, hopeful, very, very uh, confident statement from the former president uh, of the United States, uh, Barack Obama, says the protesters, the people on the streets, uh, represent a broad coalition. There is a change in mindset taking place that we can do better. Don Lemon. Uh, strong words from the former president of the United States. What did you think? Well, I thought the, the vacuum in leadership that we have been talking about now for over a week uh, when it comes to this particular story, um, I think he stepped in and filled that void just now. I was heartened to hear someone actually sound like a president, someone to actually sound like a leader someone to actually offer comfort and hope to the American people. I had been longing and yearning for that, as had millions, tens of millions of Americans. Finally, someone came out, sounded like a leader of the free world, thanked the people instead of division. And he knew millions of people would be watching around the world, especially here on CNN. He said, make people in power uncomfortable. Those words were very, very significant. I suspect, make people in power yeah. uncomfortable. Uh, he's referring to the leadership, whether it's local, state, or the president of the United States. Yeah, and he is not uh, trying to say that you should just be holding hands and singing Kumbaya. Sometimes these movements uh, have to put really the, the ugliness of what people are fighting against in front of the public. It is not about condoning violence. It's about uh, making sure that people understand that uh, that this is not just something that they can uh, glance at and move on. Uh, they have to respond to the people who are in the streets, many of whom are, uh, are, are pushing back. Well, Poppy, the former vice president there, the presumptive Democratic nominee with 
what I think you could describe, only describe, as a message deeply, deeply contradictory to the one we're hearing from the president. Uh, Biden deliberately drawing distinctions between his approach, his hopes for the country, and the president's. He says, I won't traffic in fear and division. I'll do my job and I'll take responsibility. This is not about me. It's about you. It's about us. He says that the country is calling out for leadership that can unite. And, Poppy, I thought it was notable that he connects the loss of the nation now to those mourning the death of George Floyd, to his own personal loss. Yeah. And he made the point that it is in the morning, uh, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, the morning uh, where we find hope, uh, a message of hope for a better way forward. I was so struck by that, too, Jim, because he does know what it's like to grieve. Of course, for mm -hmm. his son, Bo, for his wife, for his child that he lost so many years ago. And I think you could feel that through the television screen watching him. Yeah. And if you just compare, Jim, to your, your excellent point, what the president chose to say yesterday in the Rose Garden yeah. with what the message that, that not the president, the presumptive Democratic nominee, just chose to deliver one of unity rather than just a, a passing mention of George Floyd, as we heard from the president yesterday. Let's bring in our team, Arlette Sines, Dana Bash, Jeff Zeleny. Arlette, to you first. Your thoughts on what we just heard and saw from Joe Biden. I don't know. Arlette can't hear us. Dana, let's go to you. Your thoughts. This is a candidate who has found his voice in a moment. Um, it, it is very clear, as you both said, he was striving to make contrasts uh, with the president to provide a very, very clear and different choice from the president for voters in November. But he didn't have to work that hard at it. I mean, this is who Joe Biden is. He is Mr. Empathy, uh, for better or worse, as he would say. And, um, you know, the fact that he started out by reaching out, uh, he, he saved his very, very harsh language for the president, mostly until mm -hmm. the end. But the beginning was all about, uh, to borrow a phrase from a, another uh, Democrat, former candidate and president, Bill Clinton, that he feels their pain. And, uh, you know, it's, I, it struck me as I was watching and listening to him that it was one week ago I was sitting with him outside his home in Wilmington, Delaware, talking to him about how he is going to make clear to African Americans he needs so so desperately to be enthusiastic to get out and vote for him, how he's going to make clear that he is not going to take his vote for granted. And he said, basically, watch me. Watch what I say, listen to what I, to what I say, and watch what I do. And Unfortunately, the tragedy of George Floyd and everything that has happened since then gave him the opportunity, and he took it with this speech. Jeff Zeleny with us uh, as well. Better. Don Lemon, uh, strong words from the former president of the United States. What did you think? Well, I thought the, the vacuum in leadership that we have been talking about now for over a week uh, when it comes to this particular story um, I think he stepped in and filled that void just now. I was heartened to hear someone actually sound like a president, someone to actually sound like a leader, someone to actually offer comfort and hope to the American people. I had been longing and yearning for that, as had millions, tens of millions of Americans uh, since it's all happened. Really, and not just for this story, for what's happening here, this situation, but what's, what's been happening for other situations as well. 
Finally, someone came out, sounded like a leader of the free world, thanked the people instead of division, thanked the people who were doing it right, the protesters, and reminded us about how change occurs in this country, reminded us that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a young man when he fought for change. How Malcolm X was a young man when he fought for change. Cesar Chavez, young men, the people who fought for the LGBT, for LGBT rights, young people, the people who fought for women's rights, young people. Many of them took to the streets in order to do it. It was peaceful sometimes, other times that those marches aren't peaceful. But I think he has acknowledged, Wolf, everything that we have said here. And it, everything I've said and everything that we have been saying here, this is different than the marches that we have seen in recent history and the marches that we saw in the 60s. Similar in that there are lots of people out there and they're upset and they're taken to the street and they're challenging their leaders and their government to step up and do better. But different in the kinds of people that we see, the diversity that we see of people and of young people. I, I said, <clears throat> excuse me, on this very program, before the president came out and pushed all those people back with tear gas and horses and, and all of that, that those young people who were out there were, that was our future, yearning for us to understand and to come forward in the future with them. Those young people are our future. The president, the former president of the United States acknowledged that today. And what I also thought was, was very important is that he said, people have been discussing, uh, there's been an issue about voting versus protest. This is not an either or. This is a both and. We should be encouraging young people, not only to all people, to stand up for what they believe in, to stand up what they, for what they think is right, to get out there on the streets and protest. Yes, like that sign you see now says Black Power, Black Lives Matter. Get out there. He says, make your government uncomfortable. Make the people who are in positions of power uncomfortable, but that has to result in change. I thought that the president, the former president, hit it off. I keep calling him president because he's the only one in this moment who's actually acting like a president and who's not dividing the country. So I was happy to hear him come out, and I hope the country now heeds to the words of this president. The Root, Your Lives Matter, Barack Obama stripes optimistic tone with young black activists. And you heard our media just saying he is the greatest thing ever. He's the guy. I mean, those two sound bites, you heard the 1619, uh, property damage is nothing. The big thing right now is a brick, is the language of the oppressed. My adult daughter, who would go with, you know, there's actually a video of a lady covering herself in feces, because Black Lives Matter told her to, or some shit, I don't know, it's kind of crazy. CNN escalating the racist Wallace statement. Wallace was a Democrat, but these people don't know it. It's obey. Drew Brees, round two and three of literally bowing to the crowd. And it hasn't gotten them anything. They still call him a racist because the American flag is a racist flag. I mean, what the fuck? How could you think the American flag isn't racist? What is wrong with you? America's a racist country. Get your hand out of your ass. It's just propaganda, man. There's nothing you can do. 
If you get in front of them, they're just going to burn your fucking warehouse down. Pseudo other shit. Nike rivals clamoring for LGBT dollar and pride shoes. Nike, Adidas, Reebok, New Balance have all put out pride shoes. Because they're scared of that mob. And that mob is going to get a resurgent. You just wait. Right now, we're not seeing it. But it's coming. The mob will come. You think it won't? Oh, it's fucking coming. It's coming for you, and you will shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> it's, it's like... I mean, seriously, folks. It's coming. Toronto mayor proclaims menstrual hygiene day. John Tory, today I proclaim menstrual hygiene day in the city of Toronto in an effort to help break the silence around menstruation. Proud to support the period purse and their continue to work to end the stigma surrounding periods. We haven't seen anything so stunning and brave since presidential candidate Julian Castro did it. Brandon Morse, thank you for being so brave and helping solve a problem that no one was having or was concerned about. You're on the wrong intersectionality uh, talking points, Mayor. Director Paul Fagg blames the anti-Hillary movement for the spectacular cinematic failure that was Lady Ghostbuster. Ghosters, uh, Fagg knows, okay, Ghostbusters all-female reboot victim of 2016 anti-Hillary movement. Some really brilliant author, researcher, sociologist needs to write a book about the 2016 and how intertwined our film was with Hillary Clinton and the anti-Hillary movement, Fagg said. It was just this year where everyone went to bowling point. I don't know if it was having an African-American president for eight years that teed them up or something, but they were just ready to explode. By the time... In 2014 or 15, when I announced I was going to make it, it started. Fag went on to point towards President Trump's own negative comment regarding the film as indicative of the larger ideological tie between the criticism both faced. It's crazy how people go nuts about women trying to be in power or trying to be in a position that were really, that weren't really normally in. It was an ugly, ugly year. The entire world just said to him, or maybe it's because it was a shitty show. Viewership for the riots is starting to go down because people are sick of the propaganda, Chris Cuomo. They're not gonna, they're not gonna watch it. Kara Butler, the discrediting science behind the rise of single sex public schools. By insisting that boys' and girls' brains are wired differently, proponents of the single-sex education are selling all kids short. What the fuck are you talking about? Ruin a kid's summer with Washington Post woke teen reading list. This shit is in fucking sane. Worried your teen may enjoy this summer? Afraid she's insufficiently steeped in victimology and identity politics? Relax. WAPO has you covered. Just head to Amazon and order up Karen McPherson's five standout choices for teen summer reading. McPherson is the children and teen service coordinator for the library in the sanctuary city of People's Republic of Tacoma Park, Maryland. So you know our choices have got to be page turners. Why not just get junior summer off rollicking by starting stamp out racism, anti-racism, and you? Superman smashes the Klan. 
almost American girl. Clap when you land in Kent State. Simultaneously, while all this everybody's racist shit, this soundbite went up, and that, that's the next victim. If you rent any property, you're a racist. What'd you say we can't do? I'm Tom Austin. I'm a tenant in the building. Are you? We're all tenants in this building. So we have an office here and this guy came accusing us we can't be here. What office are you in? Don't worry about that. We don't have to tell you. Go ahead. As you guys can see, we're dealing with racism here. Then, of course, the New York Times is still going to New York Times. Stop eating animals if you care about climate change, racial justice, and the working poor. I'm not going to read the article. It is the usual fucking bullshit where we wrap all this gay climate xenophobia, racism, it's just all wrapped up in a package, which means if you eat a hamburger, you're not only racist, but you want to kill the planet, kill black women, kill trans people. You're a piece of shit, dude. It's just fucking crazy. So let's, um, we're done with the script for the day. We got a few things we're going to cover, but I want to do some stuff that I haven't been able to do. So, here is, uh, let's go with uh, Jim Acosta refusing to talk about the violence, which all of them will. And behind it is that great piece, once again, of Ali Vesci standing in front of a burning building. You mentioned Dr. King. He likely would not have approved of what took place uh, Monday evening across from the White House, as you probably know. Um, if the White House president and his team had to do it all over again, would you have gassed and pummeled protesters to clear the park so the president could have a photo op? So let me first address no tear gas was used and no rubber bullets no were, used. were used. So, again, no tear gas was used, no rubber bullets were used. Well, let me, let Chemical me, agents were used. Let we me back up and... She was gassed. Others say they were tear gassed in that area. Well, no one was tear gassed. Let me make that clear. That's been confirmed by DOD and the by Park Services as well. So let me go back and address what happened because there's been a lot of misreporting. Um, first, I would note that these protests that were going on. Um, in the morning, AG Barr had determined that we needed to expand the perimeter by one block on each side. Um, he was surprised, AG Barr, when he arrived at the White House to see that that perimeter had not been moved. Um, so he said that we needed to get going with moving that perimeter. He told the officers that out there. Uh, that was late afternoon. So that decision was made in the morning, first of all. Uh, the protesters were told three times over loudspeaker that they needed to move. And what happened was it grew increasingly unruly. There were projectiles being thrown at officers. Frozen water bottles were being thrown at officers. I would say that it is uncalled for to throw bricks at officers, uncalled for to throw frozen water bottles at officers. And they also had received intelligence that there were calls.
calls for violence against police officers, and they found caches of glass bottles, baseball bats, and metal poles hidden along the streets. When an officer is at risk, they have the right to defend themselves. You know, I've watched a lot of your coverage. I've watched a lot of the nation's coverage, and let's go through some of the things that happen when officers don't defend and protect themselves. In St. Louis, four police officers were shot. In Las Vegas, an officer was shot in the head and is on life support. In New York, a cop was beat up by people. In Providence, four to five police officers and state state troopers were injured. And in Ashbury Park, New Jersey, a police officer was injured. Police officers are out on the front lines. They're defending and protecting you as you come into this building each and every day. I I, I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is a Mostly a protest. Uh, it is not. Uh, it is not generally speaking unruly. But fires have been started, and and there's a crowd that. Is- and while all this is going on, and we're talking about everybody's racist, and all cops are the part of the KKK, citing as D.L. Hughley did last night, an FBI that they were infested with white supremacists, and even though we can't call all rioters. Uh, rioters or looters or vandals. We have to call them peaceful protesters. You can say that one white supremacist they found in a police department means all cops are white supremacists, and keep, including the black ones. Yeah, while that was going on, the Rosenstein stuff came out, and it's really bad for Hillary, who lost her case, and the fact that Rosenstein timed them all out. Former Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein says he would not have signed off on a request for surveillance on a former Trump campaign aide if he knew then what he knows now. Correspondent David Spont has more of Rosenstein's testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee. One year after leaving office, former Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein was back in the hot seat. Who are we to hold responsible? You're saying it's not you. No, no, I'm, I'm saying, Senator, that I am accountable for it. But the question is, why did it happen? Senate Judiciary Chairman Lindsey Graham called the hearing into the origins of the Russia investigation almost 14 months after former special counsel Robert Mueller released his report to the public. Do you consider it to be an utterly baseless, corrupt criminal investigation as you reflect on it today? I do not consider the investigation to be corrupt, Senator. Um, but I certainly understand, you know, I understand the president's frustration given the outcome. Rosenstein was repeatedly pressed about signing an extension of a FISA warrant on former Trump campaign aide Carter Page. Intelligence officials were concerned. Page may have been a Russian asset in 2016, though no hard evidence has come to light to prove that allegation. Last December, Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz found at least 17 significant errors or omissions in the Page applications. If you knew then what you know now, would you have signed the warrant application? No, I would not. And the reason you wouldn't have is because Mr. Horowitz found that exculpatory information was withheld from the court. Is that correct? This next one proves that it doesn't matter really what you do. It's like the Amazon fire we started with. They brought in the activists in Nashville because that's what they're saying on TV. You must listen to the activist. And you must do what they fucking say. Obey. And they did it. And the moment they released the activists out of the police car, they attacked the police.
That's a blue city. Nashville. Because once again, all this violence is in blue cities. Blue cities. That's where it's happening. So, I then have, uh, let's see, which one we're going to play? I think they're the same one. Yeah, I'm going to play the Tucker where donations to BLM is the same thing as funding the riots. Because it's very true. And he's getting mugged online. They do not like him. And you've heard this a lot recently. Riots are the voice of the unheard. How dare you criticize them? You're hearing that message from virtually every American corporation right now, every university, every major media outlet. The rioters burning down your city with the support of virtually everyone richer than you are, are, quote, unheard. You, by contrast, are the oppressor. And if you disagree in any way, we're going to fire you and wreck your life. The corporations aren't simply tweeting their support for the riots. They're paying for them, too. Recently, the CEO of Cisco announced that his company is donating $5 million to the Black Lives Matter Foundation. Airbnb is donating half a million dollars. So is Dropbox. Video game maker Ubisoft is giving $100,000. Intel has pledged a million dollars to assorted anti-racism groups and is pressuring its employees to donate more of their money to the foundation, the Black Lives Matter Foundation. And then there's Pepsi. Pepsi's donating too. This revolution is brought to you by your local PepsiCo bottler. Tired after a long day of looting? Try Pepsi. So the question is, now that it's getting all this corporate money, what exactly does the Black Lives Matter Foundation believe? Well, less than a week ago, the group launched a petition to defund all police departments nationwide. The group's co-founder, Patrice Cullors, says we should abolish all prisons. So does Intel want 1.7 million felons released onto America's streets so they want all 700,000 cops fired tomorrow? It's not clear what they want, but they're paying for that. Maybe they think they can look good for the mob by funding the cause. Who knows what they want, but they're responsible for this. On the other hand, the foundation says, the Black Lives Matter Foundation says, that one of his other goals is to, quote, disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Well, that's certainly a goal major corporations can get behind. People who aren't encumbered by families won't be distracted from being the dutiful little worker bees they like most. Married children, stop! Get back to work. Some companies are donating to or encouraging employees to donate to the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Right now, that group's Twitter page denies that the riots even exist. and Instead, they're blaming police for the violence. Okay. The NAACP Fund is also promoting bail funds. Those get violent rioters out of jail immediately. So with all this money flowing out of this country's most profitable corporations, it might be a nice gesture for those corporations to donate some money to, I don't know, rebuild some of the small businesses that have been destroyed over the past week. There are a lot of them. They desperately need the help. Oh, but they're not going to do that. Because for a lot of big corporations, the total annihilation of small businesses is one of the best parts of this new revolution. There's always an angle. Someone's always getting more powerful. And by the way, it's not just big corporations. Tomorrow we will name the celebrities who are donating to get the looters, the destroyers, the violent thugs out of prison so they can keep doing it. Be sure to catch that. We have the list. But up next, Amazon has benefited more than anybody else probably from the coronavirus lockdowns and the rioting. So obviously 
They're doing whatever they can to censor any of their critics. Then I had for our lighter care, uh, lighter fare, a couple things. First, vegan TikTok user wants everyone to know that animal lives matter as much as black lives. A vegan TikTok user thought the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis would be the perfect time to make the case that black lives matter as much as animal lives matter to fight the end of oppression for animals in the same fight to end the oppression of black people. All scientists being deserved, sentient, excuse me, beings deserve to live. Let me say it again. I'm a vegan fighting for the end of oppression to all living beings on the planet. I fully support the Black Lives Matter movement and any movement that seeks to do the same. I'm not equating black people with animals and I would never. I'm a vegan that fights to end the oppression of sentient beings on the planet. I'll just read one reply. Young woman, this is incredibly offensive. (laughs) She got fucking nuked. She got fucking nuked. So that didn't go very well. All right, This Is America. Well, before we play This Is America, I want to keep it pure. While we had... CNN propaganding and not showing any violence anymore. Chris Cuomo saying, why should protests be nonviolent? The entire establishment propagandizing and brainwashing. Everybody putting out, I stand with Black Lives Matter. Which all stand for killing, you know, fire them like bacon, put them in the pan, kill them all, looting, beating people. I mean, we've covered Black Lives Matter. They're not this lily great, oh, we're awesome organization that the left wants them to do. And while Jim Acosta, just a few blocks from the White House, totally disgusted that a National Guard soldier has to be there. Some very troubling things came out from Project Veritas. Undercover video of Portland, which I talk about all the time, which has been under siege since November 2016, and nobody wants to cover. This is the organization that CNN and Twitter wrote off with one tweet. It's just a bunch of white supremacists. This is the organization. Oh, they're not bad. All punches are not the same, you fucking racist. Yeah, they're fucking terrorists. Here's their first two videos that Veritas released with a guy who infiltrated him. I've been undercover with Real City Antifa since July of 2000. Depending on the setting, if I were to be caught or found out in a setting where I am present with them, it could escalate to violence against me. Don't be that f***ing guy with the goddamn spiked brass knuckles getting photos taken of you. Police are going to be like, perfect, we can prosecute these f***ers, look how violent they are. Right? Not that we're not, but we need
So currently I am a prospect for Rose City Antifa, and I am about halfway through the prospecting process to become a full-fledged member of Antifa. If you ruin their day, if you like heckle them, you make them feel like they look ridiculous, you make them feel outnumbered, and therefore their whole yay yay America Trump thing is going to go by the wayside. Uh, they reached out to me through Proton Mail, and we went back and forth, and there was a, an, an interview set to meet up in Portland. So to verify that I was me, they had me wear a white shirt and have a water bottle and show up at a Starbucks where a person was going to ID me and approach me and asked who I was, and I told them, and I followed them to the destination where the interview was going to be held. There, uh, we went to a place called Imperial. They were getting this trade craft from someone else, someone with much more experience, someone who did this for a living. Caroline, which is the founder of RCA, moved to Sweden with her husband, who is a dual citizen. So there, there's a back and forth with the European connection. Rose City Antifa holds required lectures for prospecting members in secret at, in other words, bookstore before they open. And as part of their security culture, they require us to put our phones in the bathroom in next door. Uh, this bathroom is not only away from the main room where the lecture is taking place, but also has a fan that muffles any sound from the room. Goal of this, right, is to get out there and do dangerous things as safely as possible. How violent is Antifa or RCA in particular? Practice things like an eye gouge. It takes very little uh, pressure to injure someone's eyes. They do not hesitate to either push back or incite some kind of violence. In our classes and in our meetings, when, before we do uh, any sort of demonstration or black block, you know, we talk about weapons detail and what we carry and what we should have. What is black block? Well, this is black block right now. The term is used to uh, a tactic in which individuals conceal their identity to look uniform so, so that no one can be identified in an act of a crime. With RCA, it seems much more structured, almost like a company or like a business. So, you know, I feel like there is some type of outside funding influence or resources being used. Consider, like, destroying your enemy, not like delivering a really awesome right hand, right eye, left eye blow, you know? Um, it's not boxing, it's not kickboxing, it's like destroying your enemy. You get a, a good liver, a kidney shot, 
pretty much tripled. They're going to be doubled over in a lot of pain. You break one of the floating ribs, which are the smaller ribs down here. Those are also very painful. It's hard to move after that, but it catch your breath. So one good body shot could potentially give you all the time in the world to run away while they're doubled over in pain. Or really put a beating on them after that. You really don't like to we just kind of want to, in this space, reframe the idea of self-defense as not simply you're being acted upon by an aggressor, but it's a kind of a decision you make um, to fight back. Uh, in a lot of ways to say, um, I'm human and I will just, I occupy this space and I'll be not not with my nose, side of my head. If, yeah, if I'm in you could definitely do this here, but if you like me from here in the field, from any one of the Uh, we call this a uh, safe space to practice aggression, uh, not aggression against one another, um, but really just a uh, space that if you want to, or if you will, or will, want to challenge yourself to kind of work on harnessing that kind of energy. Yeah, that's some good shit. Those guys are totally peaceful, Chuck Todd, Chris Cuomo. They're not terrorists. And if you think of if Project Veritas is in there, the liberal FBI who hates Trump, oh, they got people in there, folks. And the most important people... The most important thing people are asking, and we all should be asking, who's financing them? 
Where do they get the pallets of bricks? Where? Can anybody tell us? How are they getting bust all over the country? Who's paying for it? And to the Black Lives Matter that we're all supposed to bow to now? Black Lives Matter tells white people, no selfies. If a black person tells you to do something, you do it immediately. Black Lives Matter Melbourne has issued a list of required behavior from white people attending the protests, which includes no selfies and demands that if a black person tells you to do something, you do it. Up to 40,000 people are expected to attend the demonstration in Australia, which is a potential for riots high given the city militant left-wing nature. In anticipation of that, BLM Melbourne issued a lengthy list of requirements for white people. Do not take selfies, ask to ask pictures or videos of individuals. You're there to witness only. Film the police as much as possible. Your goal is documentation to ensure the true narrative is told. The guide also instincts white people to show deference and obedience to black people at all times. Now, if you think our media isn't following this, you're on fucking crack. Why do you think every fucking night Cuomo saying not a black person, not a black person, not a black person, not a black person? Why do you think they're not filming anymore? As stated, why aren't they going to Philly? Why aren't they going to Baltimore? Why aren't they going to Portland? There's no coverage of Portland. And there's a reason. It's a narrative, and I'm sure they got the same thing and it goes like this. Follow calls only. Do not initiate or lead calls. Your job is to follow. Do not take selfies. Be helpful. Hand out water and snacks. Be our bitch. Make sure your protest leaders are hydrated and fed. This is exhausting work. Keep their energy up. Follow directions. If a black person tells to do something, do it. Stay in the back until you're called forward. If you hear white people to the front or allies to the front, step forward so we can show those white faces. You're our token whites. When you're at the front, you are silent. Remain calm at all times. This is difficult. You will be emotional. Your system will be flooded with adrenaline. Remember, this is life and death for the protesters. Save your emotions for home. Do not agitate. This is not a game. Joining a protest is a serious decision. Make sure you're there for the same reasons as us. Yeah. You think our protesters don't have the same thing? You think the media's not following it? We know the media followed Biden stuff. Why do you think Jake Tapper put out the lie about Trump said George Floyd's happy about the fucking jobs report, which was a lie? <laughs> then you have a professor, and this is where it all comes from, Sarah Peacock. PSA for anyone who might be interested in how to pull down an obelisk, the Washington Monument, safely from an Egyptologist who never, ever in a million years thought the advice might come in handy, might be masquerading as a racist monument. I don't know. Racist monument. My bona fides, I'm an Egyptologist. I've worked in Egypt, Egypt, worked in Egypt for 20 years. I know a lot about Egypt, Egyptian architecture, especially how they raise obelisks. The key to pulling one down is letting gravity work for you. Chances are good the obelisk extends into the ground, so you want to get chains, not rope. <clears throat> Extend tightly around the top, below pointy bit, 
and third down forming circles for every 10 feet of monument. You need 40-plus people to say a 20-foot monument, probably 60 people. You want strong rope attached to the chain, rope easier to hold versus chain. Everyone needs to be wearing gloves for safety. Keep in mind, they have been fact-checking and limiting the president's tweets, but so far they've left this up, the editor's notes. You probably want 150 foot of rope times two. You want to be standing 30 feet away from the obelisk so it won't topple on you. This gives enough slack for everyone to hold on to a rope. Alternating left to right, left to right. Here's the hard part. Pulling in unison. You have two groups, one on each side, one opposite from the rope. Beneath the pointy bit, one third down the rope, you'll need a pull together and back and forth. You want to create a rocking motion. I recommend a rhythmic song. You'll need someone with a loudspeaker directing. There can be only one person yelling. Everyone will be alternating on the rope. No one else near the oblance. Safety first. Start by a few practice pulls. Let's think of it like a pause tug of war. Wait, two, three, four, five, pull. Two, three, four, five, pull is one. Pause for five seconds. You notice some loosening. Keep up the pattern. It goes on and on and has a diagram of the Washington Monument. But, of course, this is entirely hypothetical. Also, please do not pull down Washington Monument. Momo. Stop being a garbage person, Sarah. For fuck's sake, you support terrorists. Duly noted. In your feeble imagination, pretty mediocre. What is the difference between what you're doing and someone listing advice on how to build a pipe bomb? (sighs) Brainwashing. It's everywhere. And it's already started... Because we have our deplorable no moment, which is our this is America. 10 to 15% of America are horrible people, said Joe Biden. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. If elected, my view is that you will have to will have to address these issues straight on. And the words the president says matter. So when a president stands up and divides people all the time. You're going to get the worst of us to come out, the worst in us all to come out. This president talks, constantly talks about equality without, without lecturing, talks about and has administration that looks like the country and the rest. It changes attitudes. And it's about the attitude of the country. Do we want our kids? Do we, do we really think this is as good as we can be as a nation? I don't think the vast majority of people think that. There are probably anywhere from 10 to 15 percent of the people out there that are just not very good people. But that's not who we are. The vast majority of the people are decent. We have to appeal to that and we have to unite people, bring them together, bring them together. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Mr. Vice President. Thank you. And, and, and also thank Crickets from the media. The only thing I saw online was all oh, the rights trying to use this against Biden. But the problem is, they believe it. There's a difference between conservatives and liberals, independents that lean right like me, and liberals. 
I don't think you're evil. I think Antifa is a terrorist organization. I think BLM is a terrible organization. I think they're evil and they don't want justice. They want superiority. And the only thing I've called for in all these podcasts is no violence. People shouldn't be beaten. People should not be losing their businesses. People should not be having to deal with what's happening right now in those cities. They didn't do this. The cops did. And the cops in liberal cities all do it. And more importantly, that the entire cabal that is pushing for this and brainwashing and putting out propaganda... Our mainstream media, they don't deal in facts. I played the Ferguson effect. I played McDonald again. Do facts matter? And Ben Shapiro, 11 leftist myths about criminal justice. In an effort to explain away continued wealth and lifestyle differential between racial groups, the leftists hit on a new narrative. The criminal justice system is to be blamed. The logic states that minority men are being rounded up for little reason by a white-run criminal justice system dedicated to the eradication of the burgeoning minority middle class. If it weren't for the dastardly system, all would be well, as we will see, that's simply not the case. Criminals are being arrested nearly universally because they're criminals. There is no widespread evidence of racial discrimination in the justice system. The best solution to criminal justice imbalances remain to obey the law and then calculate the value of doing so to children and recognize if you're rich, you're going to get away with anything, just like OJ. And if you're poor, you're not. You're going to get a shitty-ass public defender that's going to try to bargain away your freedom. But he breaks it down. As such, number one, myth. Criminal justice system is racist. Fact, individuals commit crime and criminals are not equally dispersed by race. Both members of the left and libertarians are constantly arguing that the criminal justice system is replete with so-called white privilege. President Obama, for example, attributed high black criminal rate to modern-day racism among whites. In October 2015, Obama alleged that much of our criminal justice system remains unfair. In recent years, more of our eyes have been opened to this truth. We can't close them anymore. 2016, Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. Our criminal justice system is out of balance. Meanwhile, on the right, Rand Paul called for mandatory minimum sentence to be dumped and compared the prison system to segregation. Blaming the system for disproportionate racial crime is ridiculous. Crime rates in the black communities are significantly higher than in other subsets of American society. As Barry Latzer reports, from 1976 to 95, blacks were identified by police as the perpetrators of more than half of homicides. From 2000 to 2014, African Americans are murdered eight times as often as whites per capita, nearly always as a result of black-on-black assaults. 57% of blacks in state prisons were convicted of violent crimes. Unfortunately, that racial disparity in crime has been true for generations. Los Angeles Times reporter Jill Levy writes, Historians have traced disproportionately high black homicide rates all the way back to the 19th century and into the 12th. Non-white homicide rates exceeded those of whites in all cities that reported data. During the 20s, black homicide rate was seven times higher. 40s, 12. 60s and 70s remains 10 times. Last three decades, five to seven times. 
She argues that the homicide rate is largely due to lawlessness in black communities thanks to white communities, absolute disinterest in black crime, and consequent under-provision of law enforcement. The notion that blacks and Hispanics are being disproportionately targeted in spite of the offense rate is a lie. More blacks and Hispanics are imprisoned proportionally because more blacks and Hispanics commit serious crime proportionally. The Justice Department under Bill Clinton found that blacks had a lower chance of prosecution than whites in 75 major American cities cities as of 94. Thomas Sowell attributes the persistent high rate of black crime to ghetto culture brought on about what he terms black redneck culture. Lawless habits adopted by southern blacks from their white southern brethren. Sowell says his culture, and Sowell's a black guy, by the way, which began to proceed in prominence in the 40s and 50s, returned with a vengeance thanks to political left in the 60s, leading to a skyrocketing crime rate. The counterproductive redneck culture that erode away over the generation among other both whites and blacks have been rescued after the 60s by multicultural ideology that had made this residual survival among ghetto blacks a sacrosanct badge of racial identity. The liberal vision of black fate as being almost wholly in the hands of whites is the debilitating message for those blacks who take it seriously, however convenient it may be for those who are receptive to an alibi. Myth two, to stop crime, we need to stop mass incarceration. Fact, to stop crime, we need to incarcerate criminals, not incinerate. The left constantly claims a crime problem is inner city is due to lack of male figures. President Obama particularly promoted the notion that America is engaged in a pattern of mass incarceration, some sort of mythical dragnet. A February 2016 ACLU poll showed that 81% of Democrats and 54% of Republicans wanted to release criminals for prison. Here's the reality. Crime rates increase when you let people out of prison. From 35 to 64, the United States enjoyed an unprecedented drop in crime rate. Then it all collapsed from 70 to 90s. Americans were more likely to be victimized in violent crimes than to be injured in a car accident. As of 90, 4 in 10 Americans said they were afraid to walk alone at night. The crack epidemic had crippled major cities. Blue cities, by the way. And then almost as a switch was flipped, crime dropped from 90s to 2009. Homicide, robbery, and burglary of big city fell an astounding 80%. From 93 to 2014, the number of violent crime victimized dropped per- precipitously, according to the Justice Department, from 79.8 per 1,000 to 20.1 in 2014. So what happened? Major metropolitan areas increased their police force dramatically from 94 to 2000 under the crime policy of Bill Clinton. America added 70,000 police officers. Similarly, across the country, authorities began increasing sentencing. Contrary to popular opinion, the vast majority of the arrests increased had nothing to do with drugs. As Lazar writes, between 90 and 96, prison commitment ratio rose for violent crimes, except rate, and declined for drug offenses by 25%. New York City Mayor Giuliani took over from failed leftist David Dinkins and promptly implemented James Q. Wilson's broken window theory, policing of small crimes in order to demonstrate to criminals that larger crimes mattered. It worked. Myth three. If you let a criminal out of prison, they don't go back to crime. Fact a huge majority of criminals go back to crime once released. 
So what happened when you let criminals out of prison? They go back to crime. The Bureau of Justice Statistic followed over 400,000 prisoners in 30 states after they were released from prison in 2005. What they find? Within three years, 67.8% were arrested again. By five years, 766 well over 80% of property offender went back to crime and did 76.9% of drug offenders and 71.3% of violent offenders. Number four, a huge number of people in prison are be, be there because of drug offenses. Fact, only a tiny portion of those in prison are there for drug offenses. Obama in 2015, real reason in prison population is so high was American locking up more and more non-violent drunk offenders ever before. But a crime scholar, Heather McDonald, points out prison remains a lifetime achievement award for persistence in criminal offending. It makes no difference that just 16% of state prisons were convicted for drug offenses and that most of those drug offenses involve distribution. Just 3.6% of state prisons are in for simple drug possession. Myth 5. More police officers endanger young minorities. Fact. More police officers protect them. Speaking on ABC this week, de Blasio said, what parents have done for decades who have children of color, especially young men of color, is train them to be very careful, blah, blah, blah. With our son Dante, very clearly on, we said, look, if a police officer stops you, do everything he tells you. Don't move. Don't reach for a cell phone. Because we knew, sadly, there's a greater chance it might be misinterpreted if it was a young man. Today, BLM movement has been fully integrated in the Democratic Party apparatus. The DNC passed a resolution in 2015 explicitly supporting BLM, stating the DNC joins with Americans across the country in affirming BLM and the Say Her Name effort to make visible the pain of our fellow and sister Americans as they condemn extrajudicial killings of unarmed black men. But if Black Lives Matter, the best way to save them is to activate more police. Crime rates declined from 90 to 2010 because more cops practice more law enforcement in more high-crime areas. In fact, that remained high crime. The problem wasn't too many police officers, but too few. Once again, L.A. Times, Jill Lovey, no conservatives say in her book, Ghetto Side, that a shortage of cops leads to surplus of death in inner cities. Where the criminal justice system fails to respond vigorously to violent injury and death, homicides become endemic. And an adequate active police presence is necessary to prevent the advent of street justice, gangs fighting each other to get justice. Explicitly for confronting the reality of how murder happens in America, she says, is a first step toward deciding that it's not acceptable. At the height of the American violent crime wave, there were more than 50 victims of violent crime per 1,000 Americans. To put that in perspective, over the course of two decades, a majority of Americans would have been victimized by violent crime. By 2014, however, violent victimization had dropped to below 25 victims per 1,000. Property crime, too, de- too declined dramast- dramatically from 350 victims per 1,000 to just over 100. 
Thanks to the tender mercies of politicians like de Blasio, police officers have stopped actively policing in many areas of the country. The result has been rising violent crime in America's most dangerous cities. In 2015, in the wake of de Blasio's comments, New York officers simply stopped actively policing, knowing that they could not trust anybody to get their back. NYPD traffic ticket and summons for minor offenses had plummeted 94%. Drug arrests dropped 84 Overall arrest dropped 66. One source told the newspaper that it's not a slowdown for slowdown's sake. Cops are concerned after the reaction from City Hall on the Garner case. The PBA told its officers not to make arrests unless absolutely necessary. This is the Ferguson effect that will break down again. This is one impact of the so-called Ferguson effect. Terms as much such as by the police chief in St. Louis in November 2014 and the aftermath of Michael Brown, with the police under political attack across the country and the White House celebrating the racist, anti-cop, Black Lives Matter movement, bringing in their fucking leaders, D. Ray McKesson. Crime rates began to climb. As the Washington Post details, the number of murder, rape, assault, and robberies were all up over the first six months of 2015. Some of the grim statistics... Between January and June 2015, the number of murders was up 6.2% in the country. Murders are up 17% in areas with fewer than 10,000 residents. Over the entirety of 2015, the murder rate in America's largest cities jumped 17%. A 15.6% jump in San Francisco, 8.5 in LA, 25.2 in Houston, 5 in New York City, 83 in Nashville. It was a horrible year. 62 in Oklahoma City, 54 in Washington, D.C. Murder jumped over 60% in 10 disproportionately black cities. Overall, this represented the largest single homicide increase nationally in 25 years. On October 23, 2015, Comey acknowledged the obvious. And you like him on the left, guys. The left takeover of American major cities combined with the federal crackdown of police forces that led to a skyrocketing crime rate. The only way to stop suffocation in the community, Comey stated, was through removing those who were strangling it so the seeds could be planted to allow good things to grow that fill that space. And let's be clear, far more people of color being killed in America's cities this year, and it's not the cops doing it. He cited Chicago, Tampa, Minneapolis, Sacramento, Orlando, Cleveland, New York, D.C., Baltimore, Milwaukee. Comey concluded a chill wind is blowing through American law enforcement last years, and the wind is surely changing behavior. Sentiment wasn't just propagated by Comey. It was repeated by mayors. Hunter of them met with Attorney General Leonard Lynch in 2015 about rising crime. He reportedly broke into applause when someone mentioned that those rates had risen in response to officers sinking morale. The DEA chief, Chuck Rosen, said that something in October, the same thing in October, he said Comey was spot on. Rightly or wrongly, you become the next viral hero. Now you can do everything right and still end up on the evening news. From January to April 16, murders jumped 9% in America, 62 largest cities, and non-fatal shootings jumped 21. Murders in Chicago skyrocketed 95%. Not coincidentally, police officers dropped Police stops dropped 90% over 2015 in Chicago. 
As Michael Barone wrote in the Chicago Sun-Times, the most accurate word for the increase is unprecedented. The only double-digit increase in national murder statistics going back to 60s are 13% in 68, 11 in 66, 67, and 10% in 79. In June 2016, the National Institute of Justice released a report from the University of Missouri, St. Louis criminologist Richard Rosenfeld. The other explanation for the increase in crime have a difficult time explaining the timing and magnitude of the increase we saw in 2015 and continue to see in some cities in the current year. Rosenfeld admitted, but he said that the Ferguson effect wasn't limited to police officers' hands-off. It was extended to communities deciding not to trust the police and take the matter in their own hand. We won't know the true cost for years to come. That's because political actors, the same political actors who have crippled our police departments to pander the media and racial advocacy groups, have pressured their administrations to falsely falsify crime numbers. In L.A., political forces pressured the LAPD to misclassify over a 1,000 crime records in 12 and 13, skewing, skewing statistics lower. Virtually all the crime misclassified were violent assaults, robberies, beatings, and stabbings. According to L.A. Times, the entire violent crime rate across the city would have been up by a factor of 7%. Aggravated assaults would have been up 14%. Naturally, Chief Charles Beck, a political pawn of the leftist mayor, said that the classification was merely complex. Chicago, the story is the same. They reclassified all sorts of shit. And so did New York. Myth six, the cops disproportionately shoot black people because of racism. Fact, the cops are less likely to shoot black people than white people. When the police do come into contact with black people, police are less likely to kill black people. According to Professor Peter Muskos of John Jay College of Criminal Justice, Moscow found that adjusted for homicide rate, whites are 1.7 times more likely than blacks to die at the hand of police. Adjusted for the racial disparity of which police are feloniously killed, whites are 1.3 times more likely than blacks to die at the hands. Moscow isn't alone. Widely publicized study in July 2016 from Harvard, Roland Fryer, a black guy, surveyed a thousand police shootings and found that black suspects are shot less often than whites in comparable situation. Fryer, for what it's worth, is both black and a leftist. In 2015, the cops shot 987 people. A huge majority were armed or threatening, and blacks represented 26%. Police officers are 18.5 times more likely to be shot by black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed by police. A deadly force lab study from Washington State found that participants were biased in favor of black subjects and simulated threats. In 2015, DOJ analyzed the Philadelphia Police Department and found that white officers were less likely than black to shoot black suspects. Myth seven, stop and frisk is racist. Fact, stop and frisk statistically under-targets minorities and prevents crimes. Stop and frisk is a policy designed to allow police to stop and frisk pedestrians based on reasonable suspicion. Generally, this means cops determine based on behavior. Communist sympathizer de Blasio featured his son who's black in a campaign ad 
promising to end it. Upon accession to his office, de Blasio Media launched a crusade to slander the NYPD. He first settled a city lawsuit concerning stop and frisk by killing the practice. Using New York Police Department's stop and frisk data, blacks were 53% of those pulled over, despite their 23% of the city population. Whites were 9% of those stopped, even though they were 35% of the population. Racism? Right? Wrong. Blacks were 66% of violent crime suspects. Black and Hispanics are suspected in 98% of all shootings. Whites can compromise a whopping 5% of crime. His decision to kill it had real consequences. The New York Daily News reported that from January to June 2015, as stop and frisk stops dropped 42%, murder went up 19.5%. And shootings increased 9% because we weren't getting the guns off the street. Myth 8, the sensing for crack is higher than powder cocaine. Fact, sensing disparities on cocaine are a result of rational concerns. I'm not going to break it down. Myth 9, police pull over black people for driving while black. Fact, police pull over people for speeding. The DOJ and New Jersey Attorney General commissioned a study in the 90s that clocked the speed of all drivers after finding the police pulled over black disproportionately. They found that black people sped disproportionately. Blacks were 25% of all speeders and 23% of drivers stopped for speeding. Naturally, the media and the DOJ killed the study. Myth 10, unarmed black teenager Michael Brown was murdered in cold blood by cops while holding up his hands and saying, don't shoot. Fact, Michael Brown strong-armed robbed a store and attacked a cop who shot him in self-defense. We won't go over it. We've talked about it. We'll do the end of it. Protests turned violent with confrontations with police and looters taking place of peaceful protests. Egging on all of this was the nascent Black Lives Matter movement, which insists that the vast bulk of the black people in jail were victims of white racism. The police departments across the country were rife with bigotry. And the only solution to all this was the complete dismantling of the criminal justice system. Obama helped it. It was fucking horrible. And it trained a whole generation to be douche nozzles. Number 11, Trayvon Martin was shot by a racist white man for the crime of being black. Truth. Trayvon Martin was shot by a Hispanic man who was acquitted after witness testimony and physical evidence showed he likely shot Martin in self-defense. Other facts. Blacks kill two times as many whites, 500, as whites kill blacks, 250. Fact, blacks, 13% of the population, commit 50% of the murders. Fact, of the 50% of black homicides, they're mostly committed by young black men. This means 3% of the population is responsible for 50% of the nation's homicides. This is a, a, a fact sheet sent to Barack Obama. Replies to his bullshit. So, Obama, your Hollywood homies are petitioning to defund police and you and your cohorts want to take away the Second Amendment. These two things cannot exist in the same universe at the same time. This will lead to the wild, wild west. 
gun violence disproportionately affecting black communities happening in Democrat-run cities with strict gun control laws. What the fuck are you talking about? What are they talking about? None of it's true. Nothing they ever say is true. And every time a study comes out and you play these sound bites with facts done by professors, done by black professors, it's just like the gay shit with kids and how they all end up fucked up if they're in a gay household or the majority, they have a higher percentage, it's worded the proper way, a higher percentage of problems growing up because they didn't have a two-parent family of opposite sex, drugs, etc. Every time those studies come out, they are put out into the public sphere. The activist groups destroy them, and the media buries them. I mean, just look at what's happening right now. You, just a month ago, were saying that you'd kill grandma... If you went outside. Now, we have protesters everywhere. Cases are going up, skyrocketing. And they're already starting to spin, spin studies that, well, it's needed because racism is worse than COVID. They don't want facts. They want propaganda. Every fucking Every fucking study on crime has proven it's actually the opposite. And after Floyd, Flander Castile, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, we find the opposite happens and then they get pissed off because the police aren't doing their job. You can't have it both ways. But unlike most of the conservatives I see, I say fuck them. Fuck them. Let them have no cops. Let them. Defund their police forces. Get rid of them. And you'll see how far that goes. If you were honest with what you're seeing on your TV right now, there's more than a small sliver of people fucking shit up. But sadly, once again, a generation of kids getting brainwashed with lies, mistruths, and bullshit. And when they're confronted with it, well, this was supposed to be my lighter fare. Here are people getting arrested. They are so scared of the police. So scared. Yet every time they get counterlootered or get fucked with, they want to call the police. Basically, the propaganda has fucked the heads up of a bunch of fucking millennial white kids.
Well, I had a computer crash. That was a lot of fun. Anyway, uh, the, the soundbite I was trying to get is corrupt, so I couldn't get it to work. But it's literally a kid getting arrested, and they are just, like, going into seizure. They're so scared. And this brainwashing, you might think now it's great, and you might buy into the whole BLM stuff, but eventually it's going to bite you in the ass, because as every one of these protesters have already demonstrated, the moment they're in trouble, call the cops! But you want the cops dismantled. You don't want police. Those cops won't be there. And as we found out with the Ferguson effect, <coughs> every one of these towns, they're going to go away. The Ferguson effect's going to happen. There's going to be less police. They're not going to, you know, especially, well, either way, if Trump wins, which I don't think he's going to, they're not going to report, they're not going to report it. It's only election year and say crime's gone up and it's Trump's fault. Or they're going to go and literally ignore all of it if Biden gets elected. Nationwide, Biden's going to redo policing. He's going to take guns. And we're going to be in a really bad way. Because when you take the guns and then you dismantle the police, who's there to save you when the shit hits the fan? What the left wants is coppers over in England, where they carry a baton, they have no bite, and the criminals rule them. And this fantasy of taking all guns away, criminals always have guns. Every liberal city has the most fucking stringent gun laws, and they always have guns. So what does that say? It's going to be a hot mess. But you go on with it. This is what you think we need to do as a country to facilitate the propaganda of BLM, an organization that wants to kill cops, wants white people to bow to them. You do that in the blue states. Because as Nashville showed in our little soundbite today, you try to work with these people, and I don't mean these people as African Americans, these activist groups... You give them what they want, and it doesn't facilitate what they need. We have examples right now because he got second-degree murder. They arrested the three cops, and they're still protesting. And Drew Brees is living proof. You can apologize. It's never enough. Jimmy Fallon went full fucking BLM all week. They're still hating on him. And he bowed out and didn't do a show last night. Because now the people that were watching him, because he wasn't political, they're not watching. And if A&E wants to pull live PD because of the mob, well, that's the only show they have that was popular, so go with it. Pull all the cop shows. Every time you've gone full, full fucking SJW, nobody watches it, including We Rise, which was the gay trilogy that they put out, and nobody watched it. What does that say? 
Uh, it says that only 5% of the country is LGBT. And there's less than 10% of the country that believe in all this bullshit. So, this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family, friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast, gmail.com. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Downcast, and PocketCast. I have killed the Facebook page because Facebook is editing everything I put up. So check me out at the Twitter account of Fop Tony Reed or the salty one with an American flag now because American flags are bad. Our next podcast, I don't know when it's going to be. We'll say sometime next week. Uh, today's Saturday. By the 11th, we'll do one. But it'll be dependent on material. I'm going to try to stop with the podcast on riots and COVID and I might just do a subject, but I think this one was pretty informative on the lies that the media is putting out in the propaganda. They don't fit the bill. None of it's true. Make sure you stay safe out there. Make sure you know where you're going. Because as of last night, everybody they interviewed, they're not stopping. They're going to keep going. Looters are still going to loot. Antifa is still going to Antifa. We just got to keep our head on our swivel. Watch our six. And if you have a gun, have it ready. Because the more the left gets what they want, which they're getting it, the less safe you're going to be. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Makes every day count. I'm the sun and the air. I'm the shine.